Hi there. I didn't think you'd come. Why is that? You're so busy. Not for you. I um I I like that babysitter. You were so funny. Yeah, uh we did 780 million worldwide. People don't realize that. Don't you have an iPad? No. Oh, can we get her an iPad? A mini? Load it up. Watch it in 3D. We got great satin crew jackets. I was a bad babysitter written in gold on the back. Get your swag on. <laughs> so, how'd you get AIDS, Cammy? Um, I don't have AIDS. It's non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna make a movie of your life, right? Ryan Gosling will play me, and I'll play you. Be my date at the Oscars? <laughs> Hello, this is Rusty Kelly. And Amelia McKay. And this is episode two of uh, season two of the Breathing Problem Productions podcast. And today we are doing a film episode. Um, we're going to talk about two films that we are both big fans of. And uh, they are, if you want to say, Amelia. Um, Maps of the Stars by... David Cronenberg. Yeah, and then um, Killing of a Sacred Deer by Yorgos Lanthimos. Yeah, we were just, I was trying to make sure we pronounced his name correctly. <laughs> um, and uh, Killing of a Sacred Deer was made in 2017. Maps to the Stars was 2014. Um, I think you might be listening to this saying like, oh, well, the, what did these two films have to do with each other? Um, initially, Amelia and I were discussing how we wanted to do a podcast episode about films um originally we were going to do an episode about the films of todd salons which i'm sure we'll do at some point um but we were just talking about films and amelia was randomly thinking about how much she loved the movie maps to the stars and somehow you had it in your head to want to discuss both of these films was there anything off the top of your head that made you think of them um, well, there was just him? like a um, completely unconscious link, making like an unconscious link to each other. Because they, yeah. we we after watching both of them, we figured out that there is like a actually like a lot that connects the two in yeah. theme. Yeah, so it was kind of interesting. It was like a weird kind of coincidence that mm -hmm. I was like we should do an analysis both of both films. of them together. Yeah, totally. And I didn't even think about it initially. Um, with Killing of a Sacred Deer, I assume most people or many people in our audience have seen the film. Um, if not, they've seen other films by... Right. You him. know, uh, Yorgos Lanthimos did Dogtooth. He did um, the, lobster. the Lobster, which is a pretty relatively big the favorite hit. and the favorite another kind of hit in terms of indie film and the favorite even more so in just kind of the normal whatever you want to call it like pop culture world of film um killing of a sacred deer was made between the favorite and the lobster 
And, and it's it, our favorite one out of all of them, all I would stuff. say. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it seems like the kind of reception that it received was almost like um, disgust, weirded outness. <laughs> A lot of people. It's too dark. Like, the, right. Like yeah. dog, uh, Dogtooth and the Lobster, have they have a lot of com- comedy humor. Yeah. And, and granted, uh, we're going to get into it, but The Killing of Sacred Deer has plenty of humor. Um, but mm. it's a film that becomes much more like a perverse thriller as it keeps going until, you know, it, it just is, mm. becomes this violent psychosexual narrative. Um, and I can only assume that most pop movie, Hey, I just want to go see like an indie film. You know, it's made a 24, which a 24 is like a meme now in the film world. Like that, that's a, you know, the, production company yeah um distribution company and uh it's like it's like cringe to a lot of people like there's certain people whose identities are like tied to i love a24 films right but there's number one there's plenty of great films uh distributed or whatever by a24 um but of course making your whole identity the basis of who you are you know based (laughs) on like whether you're a marvel head or an a24 head you know whatever that's yeah, I think taking things too far, but neither here nor there. Um, I think it's a bum out movie, basically. Yeah, it's a movie. <laughs> you know, the lobster ends with mm-hmm. this spoiler <laughs> alert. We're gonna talk about movie spoilers. The lobster ends with you know Colin Farrell's character basically ready to like blind himself for his girlfriend <laughs> because he loves and her so much. And nothing is ever gonna be the same. But again. like they're gonna be together is the implication <laughs> yeah, yeah. probably, and. Uh, the favorite is you know kind of bleak but again it's like yeah funny and there's a lot of unlikable characters so it's it's not as big of a deal whereas this character has like child death and uh mm-hmm. weird you know <laughs> coldness and bad vibes so so i don't think it was big of a hit you know i'm sure people saw it but you know little things i see here and there is like people just being like no that you know it weirded me out you know friends of mine that were just like you know, there's a scene where where this guy tells his son that he masturbated his dad when he was a boy, when his dad was passed out drunk. It's like, yeah, it's very. There's some. There's some the stuff like that is interesting. You know, to me, and a level of uh, <laughs> brutal uh, secrets and and interesting, strange psychosexual things. Yeah. But um, <laughs> then similarly with Maps to the Stars. You know, mm-hmm. Maps of the Stars is a Cronenberg movie, and you know, with Cronenberg, he is a very you know well-known, popular underground and 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 tr- mainstream to us to an extent filmmaker. You know, The Fly was was a hit, and um, I guess his early two thousand films, um, like History of Violence and uh, the what the fuck is it called uh the russian mob movie sorry uh we're we're like relatively kind of mainstream ish except you know like amelia probably hasn't seen uh, history of violence but uh it was kind of like an indie dark indie film that before the end of blockbuster it was like you know dads probably rented it you know but anyway um with with uh maps of the stars cronenberg had just made cosmopolis with robert pattinson i don't mm-hmm. know if you remember that where yeah, they based on the Don DeLillo, uh novel, and it's just Robert Pattinson as, like, a hyper-capitalist stuck in a giant tech limousine in a huge, like, end-of-the-world 
Traffic Jam in New York, and I, uh, that's a movie I really like a lot too. And uh, but I don't think it was all that popular. But then Maps of the Stars, I think, was even less popular. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember both you and I being excited to see Maps of the Stars. I it, I didn't get to see it in the theater. We didn't see it in the theater, but we saw it on video on demand. Um, but I remember both of us really loving it. Yeah, yeah. I think we've seen it. Stuck with us. This is our third time to watch it. We, uh-huh. um, which we really did because we were thinking about making this analysis. I feel like right. We rewatched both yeah. films, of course. Yeah, and a lot, a lot came out of that. Like this last yeah, experience watching I, it, especially Maps of the Stars. Um, I think initially, uh, number one, it's written by the author Bruce Wagner. I haven't read his books, and I know he did a book that's called dead stars but i don't think there's any connection plot wise but anyway the what's interesting i think is what i remembered most about it the you know maps of the stars was it's very i thought it was very dark and funny it's about hollywood um and i thought it was you know you said like both movies start out as like a a satire right and and i and i think you know okay how about you know anyway let me just say this both films like before we get too deep are Uh basically films where they kind of were forgotten i think by most Mm -hmm. people i think maybe the killing of a sacred deer less so because he's such a popular filmmaker still yeah um but i think they were considered lesser films by a lot of people or certain people Mm-hmm. Um, and so hopefully this podcast will make some people interested and check out both movies. That's what I hope. At yeah, least. I hope so too. Yeah. Um, and I guess, okay, if we do a broad stroke, like here's the plot of both films. Um, Killing of a Sacred Deer is about a cardio surgeon, like a heart doctor who um, is has a family and has a like a kid named Martin that he hangs out with and we discover he hangs out with this kid because he has guilt due to the fact that when Martin's father was being operated on uh the main character Steven was drunk because he was an alcoholic and did something wrong it's implied that killed Martin's father right and then Martin's then through the film, we meet Steven's wife, played by Nicole Kidman, his kids, and we kind of see his life. Then um, Steven's kid, uh, one of them, the youngest, can't walk anymore. And Martin essentially tells him, hey, just so you know, I know what you did to my father. And there's a curse that's happening, for lack of a better term, where your kids and your wife are going to stop being able to walk. Then they're going to stop being able to eat. Then they'll start bleeding out of their eyes as the third mm. thing, and then they'll die. Right. They'll all die. Right. Unless Stephen chooses one of them to sacrifice to make it even. Right. So, yeah. as Martin says, he, you know, he needs to even the score. Right. You know, I I don't know my Greek myth too well. I'm a, I'm dumb. Um. But uh. So the title references the Greek myth of Iphigenia. Um. So it's. The version is that Greek leader Agamemnon, while preparing his fleet to set sail, accidentally kills a deer in a grove that is sacred to Artemis, the goddess of the hunt. She punishes him by foiling his fleet's plans. 
Distraught Agamemnon seeks help from a seer who tells him that to turn the tide, he must sacrifice his daughter Iphigenia. He first refuses, but as the situation grows more dire, he has to start to reconsider. In many versions of the myth, uh, Iphigenia herself catches wind of the gods' demand and pleads with her father to sacrifice her life. Um, and there's, it says in this article, there's different versions of the ending. In some, Iphigenia dies, in some she lives, and in some she's swapped out at the last moment with another deer, which dies in her stead as she survives. But the key element in all of them is that a great military leader is brought so low that he's willing to consider the idea of sacrificing his own child to ensure his success. Um, I guess, uh, you know, as we're just going over the basics of the story, but uh, he has to choose to sacrifice, you know, he tries to deal with the realization of the end of his, you know, his are his children dying? What's going on? Uh, he's in a giant hospital that he's kind of like the general, the leader of. Um, it's his, you know, land, the way it's filmed. Um, he's the king of the castle, as it were. Um, he does tests, nothing works. And instead of the film, you know, obsessing about why or how Martin is able to, you know, create this curse, the film finally leads us to a desperate point where one of the children is you know essentially randomly killed his youngest son and the curse ends um maps to the stars is a film that is a little more i don't know loose in that it's about a girl arriving in los angeles uh she has a driver she is kind of like a mysterious person um we then meet a boy named Benji who's a child star. He has a mother that's like a momager like Chris Jenner. He has a father that's like some kind of psycho psychological guru, you know, book writer guy. Um, and then there's another main character which is named Havana who is played like basically a Lindsay Lohan um, vague impersonation by Julianne Moore. Um, uh, and I guess um, uh the film deals with all these different characters and the concept of uh, kind of the way that Hollywood itself is this gilded prison that's built around nepotism. And in the film, that's defined as like incest. Like all the films that are made are remakes or reboots. Uh, all the children are children of other famous people. Um, uh, and that there's almost like this similarly it's almost like a greek myth of a curse that is has to be lifted through a form of like transfiguration and sacrifice um i think you know it also similarly as amelia was saying both films use a lot of comedy um and then they get very like beautiful and serious i think you know, I remember we have a friend of ours that, you know, saw The Lobster and hated it. Um, we, I don't think, you know, most people went and saw Killing a Sacred Deer. But, you know, there's all these themes of of family and relationships in all of his films and how we define who our family is and who the heads of the family are and the kind of control that exists through whether you're, you know, the head of family the head of a hospital um and the way that 
society kind of creates this hierarchy of of importance and then also the idea of coded language and relationships but uh, you know before we get to you know i i don't want to seem like we're all over the place i I guess the best way i think you know we really only did a film analysis once and it was pretty crazy we did all the earl rich sadiel films remember that obviously (laughs) and so i guess to me the best way uh to talk about the films would be to you know slowly or not slowly but begin with talking about some scenes that we think are strong you know because that lets us not just have to talk about this giant broad film you know what i mean um i would i would start with obviously I don't know if you want to talk about this. The film begins with open heart surgery footage that's, I I would say, it's clearly real. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Do you have any thoughts about this footage? Well, yeah, it's like... It makes me think of some kind of ritual, like, sacrifice Mm -hmm. that's very, like... Like, uh, actually, like, a lot of his movies, I made this, like, point to you like the other day in a parking lot when we were talking about uh, we were talking in the parking lot of Matt's El Rancho Mm -hmm. and I said that his movies feel like this kind of like human like we as humans try to remove ourselves from being like a part of the animal kingdom Mm -hmm. and we like like our sexuality like things that make us like a part of that um that the animal parts of ourselves are put into these kind of clinical places to either be like carved out mm-hmm. or like controlled. analyzed controlled such as sex or like death and disease and like you know everything in which that first scene is like just this kind of like symbol of what he's trying to like say and this kind of like sacrifice well there's like the control of nature through um a uh humans are are able to kind of move beyond um the old ways of you know an animal can't perform a surgery uh i i guess one yeah yeah thank you for yeah because i guess that is like kind of what i'm trying to say is like just this kind of like um well it's almost like the main god like thing right like steven is like a god that is is able um a general um that is able to play this arbiter of life and death right he should be the one allowed to decide how someone lives or dies um all you know Mm -hmm. um, yeah and we see up close at the beginning of the film you know the power that he holds this like muscle this kind mm-hmm. of shimmering thing i th- i i think also what's interesting is you know if we go to the lobster which we don't have to go super into but of course the lobster and the favorite use animal symbols um the lo- the lobster is all about you know you choose the animal that you turn into mm-hmm. if you can't find a mate <laughs> i love that if you can't oh if you can't utilize these coded languages that society has you know 
decided or the way that you should be able to exist as a human, not an animal. You know, you are a better, you are a human. Yeah. You need to have, um, you know, right. well, these relationships. Mm-hmm. And if you can't, then we are going to demote you to the status. And then I might be getting things wrong. What, keep, what were you going to say? I was just going to say also, like, what I, what I was really trying to say was that is, like, that whole thing about how, like, a doctor has to, like, remove what they're looking at mm-hmm. from being, like, human or, like, like any part of, like, a person, you know, to, to operate and, like... They have to try to be some kind of, like, objective yeah, robot or something? Yeah, 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 totally, which would... That's, like, his character... It almost that, seems like it, right? It's, like, this, like, well, flaw or something that, like, in, in the end of things, because he like sees things so objectively well i think also you know what you could also say that in in all of the the films by you know yorgos lamp uh is that uh characters speak less with the favorite i guess but characters have a way of speaking that feels like robotic or feels like the almost like he's doing a parody of human nature you know so there's the animal and then one would say well humans have language right humans have uh consciousness humans are able to organize our thoughts and organize um societies based on this and it seems like the director in the way that he writes language seems to feel like all that is arbitrary and absurd to a certain degree yeah I don't, I don't know if that's no yeah exactly i mean the... all the ordinary aspects are so like abstracted from what's natural and right like um the, the idea that okay because this leads us to the first main scene which is steven and his anesthesiologist walking down a hallway speaking about where they each got their watch yeah right okay we're talking about the fact that the film that martin okay he's just operated on a patient that we assume he saved because nobody's saying anything negative that this is steven he is the head of you know cardiology or whatever he is a heart doctor and here is his anesthesiologist um, talking about how great his watch was or is and how they each got their very expensive, important watches. And I think what's interesting is we, number one, see the way that this film kind of exists in a different version of reality. This isn't our version of reality, right? People don't talk like this. Yeah. And I think you know what i love about it is it feels like the, the it feels like the way an alien or an ai would write human language right mm-hmm. it feels like yes this is a conversation somebody could have but the way that they're speaking and the the words they're using don't feel human you know there's no i mean the most obvious answer is there's no emotion in the way they speak it's you know it's a parody of human uh communication yeah and 
the other obvious thing about it is, okay, who are these characters? These are men that essentially are having conversations about a consumer item that is, uh, what is the watch to the rich man? The watch is a reflection of their standing in society because they are able to afford a very expensive watch. You know what I mean? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I guess, you know, if there was somebody sitting else here, they would say, like, oh, that's fucking cheesy. Like, yeah, okay. You know, that's the, like, devil on my shoulder. Like, Well, yeah, <laughs> it's, like, it's, like, the watch is a distraction from, like, being what you really are, like, which is just a person. You're not really, like, important or, like... Right. You know, like, you're not this, like, god, but it's just this way to, like, feel feel like that you know right and and the f- as the film keeps going we see that steven the way it's shot by the way is in very wide angles uh the film mm. begins with literal fish eyes you can see the kind of the way fish eye lenses have a blurred effect a distor- on the edges on, yeah distorted effect you know we see his his kingdom and his castle first in the hospital that he's the head of in this department um, then we're immediately shown a scene of him meeting Martin. We don't know. We assume Martin isn't his, you know, son, but it's a, the scene is like sh- slightly strange uh, with uh, him. You know, it's almost like <laughs> is he meeting this kid to have sex with him? Like, you know, it's an off kilter, off putting scene. Uh, you know, narratively, I assume that makes the audience want to figure out why this important surgeon is meeting up with a teenage boy you know yeah and again (laughs) similarly the the discussion the dialogue is super minimalistic and you know robot Mm ai-esque you know do you like my haircut i really like fries i like saving my fries to the end um but again there's no humanness or even um a kind of you know hint as to what what these characters like are really why they're even you know with each other um okay i guess i can kind of move past this scene um he meets with martin then he has a we have a dinner establishing shot of steven's nice suburban home it's very uh, large and beautiful uh, he has his wife is Nicole Kidman. He has a daughter and son. Uh, I believe the daughter, the bo- son's name is Bob, and the <laughs> daughter's name is I think Kim. Kim, yeah. Um, <laughs> and are, are, again, with you know, the dialogue. Although I will say, what's interesting is Nicole Kidman's dialogue. She makes a statement about uh, how, you know you met this girl at a party she wants to be a cardiologist like you it seems a little bit more i don't know warm or human for lack of a better term but you know i don't want to get bogged down needless to say this is again more kind of narrative stuff but i'd say the importance of it is that he is a man that seems to have it all uh then we go to a scene in the bedroom uh amelia i don't know if you want to describe what happens here i don't know if you can remember this Oh, yeah. Um, so, Nicole Kidman's character um, is, like, pretending to be, like, a paralyzed person 
to gratify her husband sexually. Yeah, like that. She she says general anesthesia. Like that's what they call the sex game, right? Where right. she's <laughs> passed out, similar to all these people that he works on. Um, yeah, and it's like everything is lacking. I think that's like the whole kind of fluidity of it is like everything's lacking that kind of human or natural touch. Even more so, like he wants the way that he his fetish and some is his not just his uh job he sexualizes his standing as a head surgeon right if society projects all this importance onto him as having a very important grand job then he's fetishizing what he does which is that i have power over other people yeah people are completely helpless and i am the arbiter of their fate mm. i could let them die although mm-hmm. i let them live because that's, i could fuck them <laughs> right too, like yeah. that's the idea like i i can <laughs> i can fuck them he fetishizes his power state because the society the capitalist society gives him this like state of power mm-hmm. and so uh-huh. his sex- sexuality which, which we like define as this like warm you know beautiful thing is not even like what animals do to each other yeah animals at least just fuck each other and do it for procreation and you know pleasure i assume that's what their brains think um but <laughs> steven's ex- expression enjoyment of sexuality is only through the way that his job is you know what i mean like it isn't no it isn't sexuality at its natural state it is yeah. it is a sexuality that is Remo- removed rem- yeah. and manipulated rem- through yeah. his standing in the capitalist consumer society right mm-hmm. and it's also you know there's an element of weird sadistic rape vibes to it right <laughs> like it's a, his, she goes oh, do you want an- general anesthesia again and she lies there passed out you know implying the woman doesn't do anything you know what i mean she's mm-hmm what she realizes what my husband wants is for me to be this thing that is his object of you know the desire of whatever his fantasy lifeless yeah but i you know it implies that you know there isn't a loving marriage at its core it's a marriage of based around these values that society like gives steven and his wife you know what i mean like, yeah. these are the things that are important, and this is why your husband is important to you, you know, aka to the wife. I think uh, even there isn't the sec- sexual shit in the bedroom is, is even uh, manip- changed and, like you said, removed. I think that's a really important sign, you know? Um, we go back to uh, back to the hospital, which, by the way, this was shot in a real hospital in Cincinnati, Ohio, mm-hmm. which, you know, is like an every town USA type place. The, the, the hospital isn't necessarily run down. It's, you know, seems state of the art, but it's, it's a little bit dated. You know, I'd say it's a little like two thousands ish, you know, it's not total state of the art, um, which I think is important. Um, so Martin shows up to the hospital and is showing the watch that, you know, it's just talking about the watch that Stephen gave him. Stephen had given Martin a watch, which, you know, is this expression of, in a way, you know, a watch is something you'd give your son, 
um, an expression of love or an expression of like fatherly gratitude, wanting to be a positive male role model in Martin's life. And Martin seems to really um, uh, care and and love this. Um, Anyway, the next part is that the general anesthesiologist uh, friend uh, slash partner of Stephen ends up walking on the conversation and Stephen lies about who the boy is. Instead of saying, you know, this is this boy whose father was a patient of ours that you know, yeah, I killed. It, it's very clear that it's really weird that he got him like a watch. Like, why would well that too? They were just talking about who it. Who is this? And even if he was like a like who he said he was, which was like a friend of his Daughter. daughter's, like why would why would it be? Why would he have this like relationship with him anyway? Like, right. you know, that seems strange. And notice though, and, and and this is another interesting narrative sign that Stephen lies about who the boy is. Martin doesn't say, why do you lie about me? So we know that Martin is aware that he has almost like this playing and power. power. Yeah. Right. Um, right. Right. Um, okay. But it is like a secret that he, that Stephen has done something to make it to where this kid has like some kind of like, you know, power enough to like get something out of this relationship right right Right. i mean i almost feel like it's probably obvious that the anesthesiologist because he was there when the dude died probably knows who the kid is even um but that's neither here nor there um the next scene is some kind of big you know benefit that steven is is emceeing he's talking at he's you know again a very important man who talks at at you know charity events and dinners um yeah. His kids are, his daughter is, is practicing singing. The son is a spoiled little kid who doesn't even do chores. And he, the son really loves this long hair that he has that the father wants him to cut. Um, then we move on to this um, dinner that he's talking at. There's a really great establishing or shot that's like super wide angle of this insane like banquet hall i guess that he's speaking at you know we get some basic information about how you know steven was an alcoholic um again we go back to a clandestine meeting with martin and steven um you know they're essentially having basic bullshit kind of chit chat more kind of parody of the way humans speak Martin then comes to meet the family. Um, uh, there's like a pretty interesting uh, scene where Martin and the daughter Kim start to speak to each other. Kim is supposed to be, I guess, 13 and just getting her period. Martin, I assume, is supposed to be like 16 or 17. Um, she's clearly attracted to him, which is like, I think, an important element that we'll start to like see. Uh, Another element is that Martin is like, hey, can I smoke uh, in this, the kid's room? He is older, so, you know, it's kind of expected he'll have some teenage rebellion. So he opens a window up and smokes a cigarette while the youngest boy is shocked at the, like, rebellious nature of Martin. Whereas Kim is, like, wanting to act like she's cool with it because she's just like him. Again, this whole thing feels like 
a a comment on the way that we as human beings all have well, what yeah what yeah yeah go go ahead well just the, the ex- there's a kind of expression there's the different expressions of growing up of a f- kind of rebellion that's shared by everybody therefore it's not even really rebellion or the fact that you know young boys you know the the boy bob who's like eight years old is like my can i see your arm here and you know again there's a kind of like uh instead of an animal fighting with like the other animal and like snarling it's a boy asking about the hair of a father so like if martin has this power Mm -hmm. he can kind of like he's like showing these kids that he can kind of do whatever he wants in a way right because he's like smoking out of their bedroom window like obviously like that's completely not normal. you're not supposed to do that yeah. you're supposed to go outside even if you could smoke and so like he's he is like this animal flunting his power mm-hmm. the kids are like like the boy is like you know in awe in awe and attracted to it in the way that he's like he's a boy he's like show me your armpit hair like this kind of need to emulate power and then the girl is doing it in this almost like you know she's sexually attracted to him right so it's kind of like this biological yeah and like it it reflects onto nicole kidman's like attraction to the doctor like she married him because he's powerful and 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 yeah it's probably not pc to say but maybe there's an a comment on this biological part of being a female and being attracted well, the, to like the protector whole, i think the director archetype yeah tries to do with like we are like animals like you know we're a slave we're, to yeah. these like biological right, things right, right, right. and yeah. then we put <laughs> this kind of sheen or we dress ourselves up with conversation yeah, we, yeah. and language mm-hmm. yeah, yeah for sure and that's so amazing because it's like again we see the like bob says like i just i said before Bob says, can I look at your armpit hair? And says, my dad has, you know, much more, more armpit yeah. hair. He has more power. Right. So there's a kind of, there's this biological fight, but it's dressed up with conversation that is then dressed down by the way the writer is writing it. Because mm-hmm. he's one, you know, if it was a film where the language was to be normal, maybe Bob would be like, you know, my dad will kick you out if he sees you smoking. Right. That would be like in air quotes, the normal dialogue, right? <laughs> but and what is Bob really doing? He's expressing the fact that his father is the king of this household and Martin is flaunting it. Yeah. Yeah. But, sure. <laughs> and again, though, it's like if this is a battle between two males in this, in this kingdom to have the the king's daughter be attracted to Martin is... I mean, clearly something that Martin likes, you know? Yeah, which continues. It develops. Continues and develops, yeah. right. Um, I mean, I think the director is, based on the films he makes, he's interested in the way that human nature is dressed up mm-hmm. with, you know, this language and ideas. But in the end, yeah. we're just these animals. Um mm-hmm. Uh, okay so yeah you should so they they talk about they go on a walk Mm -hmm. and then martin and kim go on a walk and there's a kind of like (laughs) 
this i don't know i would call it like it not wholesome <laughs> but like a this beautiful this scene. is very like um like just watching the trailer and everything mm-hmm. to this this like this scene was put in there because it's obviously like such a standout and right. kind of well, is what like is it Exp- pop describe culture-y. it describe yeah. what she's doing She's like standing by this tree singing because she's a singer. She's like in the choir. Mm -hmm. She's impressing Martin, which before we see her practicing her like vocal training Mm -hmm. to her dad. And her dad is like, very nice. Like you've like improved quite a bit. And so she's impressing Martin with her. By singing Burn by Ellie Goulding or something, (laughs) by the way. Yeah. How does it go? Can you sing it? <laughs> well, the song is, you know, you can, you guys can look it up, but she's singing it a cappella the way like a, a little kid or a person would do where they're like singing off key to yeah. a friend, you know, let it burn, 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 you can, uh, whatever it is. But I think what's interesting with the shot is she's singing the song, which is again, it's like you could read it as a, another like wink comment uh-huh. parody of, well, uh, initially you could maybe make fun of it. But actually, I would say it's yeah. like an expression of like pure when you're a teenager, what it is to like, you know, be have a crush on a ki- a girl or boy or whatever. And the kind of pure expression of like attraction and hormones through the lens of like youth, because there's this kind of like Terrence Malick shot totally. of like sun creeping through a beautiful tree and she's leaning on a tree and like you know tree represents like fertility and life <laughs> and maybe it's also like another just statement about like this kind of well she's like a she looks like a peacock she's peacocking okay right. she's like sure. she because her father had just given her this praise for her singing mm-hmm. she's then using that her as her plume to impress this mate like it's very animal like he's watching her and this the she's behind this giant tree and and the the arms and the of the tree kind of it looks like she's having this like power over him which is again just hormones and chemicals and biological functions right but but i think also you know it's amazing to see that the hypnotism the way that it works whatever spirit whatever you want to call it um it's a moment that I really love in the film um, because it feels very pure, for lack of a better word. Not because of like the fact that it's a girl or a boy, but just the expression of a pop song that's a cheesy, mm-hmm. goofy pop song. But the way it's sung acapella feels very human and yeah. very just real, you know? Yeah. Um, so next there's some stuff with martin talking to the family um about how much he's impressed with their beautiful you know big house and you know they ask where he lives and he says oh i live in a not so nice neighborhood in a not so nice house you know again he's giving this kind of uh he's bowing to them saying you are better you're every part of what you own what you represent you know culturally uh in society is above me you know whether you know martin maybe he's tricking them or whatever but he's doing what you're supposed to do in that kind of social situation cool yeah so like going back to that song mm-hmm. like the, the part with the song i just made this connection with like how like 
you were talking about how there's kind of like this like it's it's this innocent moment this portrayal of like these kids like yeah young love sitting under this tree and she's like singing this song Mm -hmm. the song is like a pop song it's this kind of like like it's like saying like we're the stars of the human race and we're gonna let like we have the we have the fire we have the power and we're gonna let like the whole we're gonna let it burn like we're gonna Mm -hmm. just like be these powerful godlike um you know entities in their kingdom and like there's this kind of like like she's singing it to martin Mm -hmm. mm-hmm right she's she's saying like don't you want like this power too like it's this it's this like it, like the director, I feel like is trying to show this kind of like animal like courtship ritual that like the young like pop culture way that we think of like pure love is really just this like animal Biological. biologically driven courtship ritual. Chemicals, right. Yeah, and that like they are somehow like they're they're cursed with the same biology to like want to dominate and have power. And like flaunt that power and right. show that and they're saying, like the they're the alpha and like right. And she's saying, Martin, do you want a piece of this power? You yeah, know, a piece of me sexually, but a piece of my father's power. Yeah, I'm, I'm like sitting. I'm like leaning against this tree, offering it. Yeah, totally. It's very like, yeah. It's just this raw kind of like, this is primal. We're all primal. Everything, including like the and most a, complex. Almost like a tribe, though, too, yeah. in some old sense, like a dowry like be part of my father's you know if you marry me you gain access to this yeah totally okay hell yeah we we don't have to worry about nothing because we got the fire and we're burning one hell of a something they they're gonna see us from outer space, outer space, light it up. Like we're the stars of the human race, human race. When the lights started out, they don't know what they heard. Strike the match, play it loud, giving love to the world. We'll be raising our hands, shining up. To the sky. Okay, so the next I'd say important scene is what? Um, Martin had invite, invited Stephen to come over to his house to meet his mother, I guess. Mm-hmm. His The widow of his father mm-hmm. who he killed. So right. um, Martin is clearly like, or uh, Stephen is clearly like kind of like he feels obligated to do these social mm-hmm. things um, because of, of guilt. Like he clearly doesn't doesn't like want to actually do this, but yeah. he does to to pay respect to the dead because he feels like that's what he feels he, guilty. He owes them, right? And so Martin is like clearly trying to like trick him into like. Um, you know, hooking up with his own mother. Right, this widow. He wants him to hook up with this mother. Yeah. So and at first, like, the attempt is to replace his father with Stephen. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, 
there's a scene martin goes to bed well like in the middle of like this movie and leaves him alone like clearly like he wants them to have like their own private time Mm -hmm. and she this actress alicia silverstone from clueless yeah from clueless she's the mom Mm -hmm. (laughs) and um so she's like saying she's talking about her hair how she dyed her hair the last time he had seen her her hair was brown and <laughs> right. ugly when when her husband died and doesn't it look better now right, and it's beautiful i it's lost blonde. weight didn't you notice that and right like, these like things that are supposed to be important that society deems better a thinner person a blonder person yeah and so she's very like clearly like hitting on him mm-hmm. <laughs> and She's talking about his hands, which are yeah, her, interesting hands. because what are his hands? Like the God, the hands, these gifts from, from the God, God to, to, you know, perform surgery right. or whatever that have power over our, like, you know, uh, over mortality. Mm-hmm. And then she's worshiping them. She's choosing to, to comment on them. She grabs his hand and, and starts sucking starts, on it, like kissing and sucking on his fingers he freaks out and he leaves. leaves. And I think if, if you've seen the film, you know that it, this is before all the curse stuff's happening. And it's never said directly, but you've got to wonder if Martin's original plan to make things right was that yeah. Stephen would need to, would become his new father as and would maybe leave his family to take care of him. Right. Was that like his original plan? I think so because like he goes over to the house. Mm-hmm. And that would be, like, the sacrifice because he's, like, clearly, like, bowing down and saying, your life is so good here. Like, then he's trying trying to get him to step down in his power to, like, leave his whole family and his house and then come live here. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. And, or or to, to, you know, I assume maybe he was predicting, predicting that, you know, they would, he would... Stephen would leave his wife and marry Martin's mother and Martin and Stephen would, you know, they would all be a new family and he'd move into a big house. We'll never know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Maybe part of his plan was just for him to cheat on his wife so that, you know, Stephen could use that against him in his later curse of killing the family, you know, killing one of the family members. We'll never know. I think it's straightforward and it's just like. You know, he lost his father and he wants to find a new to be even he regains the father with him like that that would right. you know and since he refused to do that a different kind of curse and a different right. kind of like even playing field is, right well set up right that's what it seems like and and you know the first third of the movie is very much so like it feels like a similar to the lobster a uh it's very comedic and all the conversations are like perfectly written to like make us like laugh at the way that we communicate and the way our cultures are like organized, you know, that kind of starts to fall away. Especially again, we're back in the hospital. His his you know castle, it's filmed like this labyrinthian space of, you know, above it's Kubrick. It's very Kubrick esque. Uh, the the camera is like a, a, a steady cam that's somehow like craned over the main character with a fisheye. So. It, it looms, you know. I think that's what's amazing about this director is the way that he's able to film very mundane spaces uh, 
in 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 really you know cinematography wise it's just incredible work i think that's what's interesting by the way i just want to say if we were to compare the look of killing of a sacred deer with maps to the stars is like killing of a sacred deer just looks beautiful maps of the stars is very like traditionally shot like medium normal coverage medium yeah. close-ups <laughs> um but I, I that's probably more of a reflection to the fact that they had a smaller budget they definitely did maps yeah. of the stars yeah. yeah like this film you know a24 whatever you want to call it, like this film killing a sacred deer i'm pretty sure was shot on 35 millimeter they had kind of access to yeah. to to really important great visual stuff although you know yeah within this like really weird mundane space which is right. cool i would say cronenberg's work obviously can be visually especially in terms of like special effects uh can be visually stimulating <laughs> but i don't know if he's necessarily known for like insane cinematography i'm sure some cronenberg fan which i am one will yell at me you know dead ringers has some incredible camera work anyway whatever whatever yeah. that cgi uh, scene though and yeah yeah oh with the fire yeah Yeah. yeah. i mean again (laughs) they had a small budget um but back to this film the okay now the the boy is desperate he knows that martin or that steven doesn't want to be around him really i think steven's actually freaked out now of course you know because of the whole of and we could say that like pretty and you know essentially he Martin's trying to to hang out with him to be around him. He ignores him, and then, uh, exact switches over attention to um the the daughter and stuff. Right, he's dating the daughter a little bit without you know he's and then Bob gets sick. He can't move his legs. Yeah, and that's like forty minutes into the movie, almost halfway through. Uh, Bob gets sick. He can't move his legs. Yeah, he can't get out of bed, and he's like, seems like he's making some kind of excuse. But you find out, like, you know, he has to, right after this, he's, like, in the hospital. and well, Right, and the father immediately thinks he's lazy and faking it. Right. Yeah. And um, so right after that. Mm-hmm. They're, we're in the hospital. We're in the hospital, and they're doing all these tests neurological whatever and they they there's nothing actually like clear that shows up on any kind of scan scan that would detect why this is happening to him right and i think what's interesting is now you know we're going from the the kind of broadness of steven's life of home you know hanging out with martin his job to now we're just in the fucking hospital and mm-hmm. this is where he is the king. This is where he's the general. And he's going to find out what's wrong with his kids. You know what I mean? And, uh, uh, you know, if we go through it, nobody can tell what's going on. There's another kind of beautiful, like, wholesome youth shot of Kim on the back of a motorcycle with uh, Martin. Martin. Riding uh, it. That is just like, again another scene that's she's actually crying i think right yeah i didn't notice that until the last time i watched it but yeah she's she's crying and there's like this like these lights from the city down they're like downtown cincinnati like Mm -hmm. riding through and she's like crying it's really weird it's kind of like this weird like 
what you would see like in some kind of weird um like music video or, or like something. a terrence malick thing or something that's what's interesting yeah. is like much as lenthimos makes fun of our relationships and laughs at us for being animals that are just stuck in our like bullshit made up fairy tale worlds of society um i feel like the, the singing scene and the scene on the motorcycle he's still saying there's beautiful spiritual moments of like of yeah. relationships mm -hmm. Uh, just separately you know what i mean right right uh, right um then we go back to to the whatever hospital and there's an, a very important scene which like it's like half exactly halfway, halfway through, through maybe where um know, so yeah. he like martin just is like he 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 shows up to the hospital again after being told like don't come here anymore like don't i'm busy all the time you know yeah. he like steven has basically he's he's gone past like the guilt thing and now he's just like annoyed and he doesn't want like anything to do with him anymore but and kim's mom like i think forbid her to see him too yeah because he's like you know weird or whatever for lack of a better word i think she knows something's going on because she knows like you know this kid uh has sexual power or, or, or just transference, over the whole family some yeah. kind of transference she that's what she knows because she knows that steven had killed um, or I think she doesn't know for sure yet, but... No, she suspected it, She though. suspects it, yeah. yeah. Based on the way he's lying. Right, he's lying. And so, Martin shows up again to see Bob in the hospital. And he basically times it out knowing that Steven's going to show up and find him there. Mm -hmm. And then um, Martin says this, like, is important. Um, I know I don't want to, like, take up your time, but, like can we meet in the cafeteria in like five minutes and they're, they're kind of like face to face yeah they're face to face in this like this is where everything gets closed closed into like the space of like where the camera work is like all up close to them mm -hmm. like one on like no one more on one wide shots. yeah yeah and so he tells them like to even um the death out the death of my father you have to choose one of your children one of your family members to sacrifice to save the rest because what's going to happen to them is they're all going to fall ill in the same way that bob is where they the first sign is that they um get paralysis the second sign is that they stop they refuse to eat and then the third one is that they start bleeding out of their eyes and by that point it'll be too late because then they'll all die right and so he has to make he has to kill one to save the rest um, so I think immediately Stephen doubts and is disgusted by this story, but the, the, the fact is, is that pretty soon after, um, Kim, uh, well, before Kim falls over, uh, pretty soon after, you know, he gets, Stephen gets very angry, says that Bob is lying and manipulating and he tries to get Bob to walk, force him, he throws him on the ground, he drags him around and says, come on, tell me your secrets, you know, implying like maybe Bob's lying, maybe there's some hidden secret or trauma as to why Bob is playing this thing and why he's making up this whole paralysis thing. And he says, you know, one time when I was a boy, I was learning how to masturbate and my father was very drunk and passed out and I masturbated my father. And then that that's the last we hear of that story. Okay. Well, he's trying... 
like to compare um like he's trying to get bob because he thinks like they think at this point it's psychosomatic right bob has some yeah like he's doing this somehow because something terrible happened to him and like he's just not molested i guess maybe that's what they're thinking repressing this so much and he can't tell anybody so his father like literally was like all right bob walk walk down this hall and Mm -hmm. he like can't do it and he's he's like and then he like crouches down and tells him this like (laughs) the worst secret anyone yeah the worst secret saying this happened to me so like you can tell me like that he basically tells him so it's like it's anything that you could tell me is not the worst thing like i right I'm but, here and, to, like, and i love that story you. just as a person it's so like you who <laughs> you. loves hidden of you you know i love secrets and i love things that are <laughs> that society and the world pushes down and doesn't want to talk about and that is truth that is brutal and it that you know paralyzes you but i think you know, I think on, even on a level of using the way that shock... Yeah, charged. This is like a charged piece right. of dialogue. The way that shock can be used to slap the audience in the face, I think is beautiful. I think it's a, a story that, you know, forces the audience to like stare into this void of who, again, we are these animals and our consciousness tries to organize things into a specific order. Uh, and it's interesting to see, you know, this is just one example of who this character is, right? Steven, mm-hmm. a man in charge, a man who has is able to control the fate of, of people and they live and die and his family and his, his culture. And he's a very important man, but just like all important men or all, all humans, he has brutal secrets, you know, and he has experienced you know i don't know if it's sexual abuse because his father was you know asleep but it's very rotten raw things yeah and i think he's on the floor begging his son to just tell tell, because he doesn't want the martin thing to be true so it's like he's hoping anything else is true this weird almost like confessional moment of trying to be like god please Please make this stop. I'll tell you. I'll the, tell you like right. my worst secret. Like you know, it's bargaining for right. forgiveness or like redemption. Right. Being like, I'll just t- I'll tell you the worst thing I've ever done. Like mm-hmm. just make this stop. Right. Right. You know. Right. Exactly. And then okay, so then we have Kim falling over. Nicole Kidman. What the fuck is Nicole Kidman's character? In Anna. There we go. Anna continued <laughs> weeping. Um. Anna is crying, and I think also what's important is that the way Stephen is trying to control the situation, Anna is someone who accepts things as they lay and tries to deal with them, which I think is very interesting. I mean, as you much kept saying, calling her pragmatic, right? Exactly, yeah. and I think that's what's interesting is that he, um, Lanthimos, uh, as a director, he and right, he mm-hmm. understands human nature, even if he makes fun of the way we speak and the way we understand things. He, I think what's great is that his characters all are beautifully written and impeccably written. When you watch The Lobster, you may laugh at the the surreal absurdity of it, but what makes it a great film is that the behavior feels real. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then... And desperate. And same with The Favorite, you know, which is another great film about human nature. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it's like desperation... 
mm-hmm. in the face of like no control right like people- which the aspect of being human that whole thing is like what i what i kept kind of what we're kind of circling around mm-hmm. is like what makes us human is the need to control nature through survival and an organ beyond survival beyond survival right um to the levels of comfort to the levels of of status status yeah right um so i mean in the favorite there's a queen who has the highest status and therefore the highest rate of you know chances of survival and you have these two poor women that are but everybody's manipulating her. Everyone, everyone is, is straining. Everyone is struggling. Right. Everyone is kind of conning or manipulating or begging this queen to help. That's its own thing. But I think it's interesting. It's like a contest of a bunch of people utilize. They're animals, but they're utilizing language and whatever means they can to gain status and survive. All right. I don't know. It's just one side to look at. I'm sure I'm wrong. Well, no, yeah, I guess, like, more of what I was saying is, like, this kind of, like, like, this need to control, like, all things, which makes us human, but we can't, so we are ultimately these animals, and, like, um, we can't control what happens, so, like, in the, even in the favorite, it's, like, she, the queen, tries to control, like, all aspects of, of these relationships, which have just these kind of, um, primal, more like more primal motivations that mm-hmm. she like that you know even like real love like the most natural forms of things like her relationship with the emma stone or no, rachel no wise the, or yeah the the original favorite Ra- rachel wise yeah yeah like that was like they were actually like Lovers. in love with each other but then she like she doesn't like, she, she doesn't go with, like, that kind of, like, instinct because she'd rather want to control her, whatever, whatever. And yeah. that's, I mean, I haven't seen the movie in a while, but, and then Emma Stone creeps in. I don't know. It's a great, needless to say, it's a great movie about human relationships, and I think it's a it's a successful movie because he understands how humans are complicated creatures, but but be simple at the same control, time. Yeah, yeah, control everything. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so back, okay, back to this film. Um, you know, I read an, a little article that said, you know, this, that killing of a sacred deer shows like the stages of grief, like, uh, what is it? Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. So I, I guess at this point, Steven goes and he's trying to find Martin. He can't find him at his house. Um, Anna is desperately trying to find out what he did because he knows he's lying about the guy who died, you know, I think she already assumes based on him being an alcoholic that he might have, you know, done something right. wrong to kill somebody. Well, this is where this movie kind of takes off into these kind of mythological realms is where, you know, they, they're just kind of assuming and going along with the idea that this curse is real. Like, they're just all somehow, like, that. that's not communicated in this film well, at any point. Like, at least steven is anyone who isn't no no i know i know but uh the like all the rest of the characters the family Mm -hmm. they are since they're like under this curse they're the ones that are being affected they like believe it the most right right and like they know that martin is the one that did this the arbiter of their and they do it like completely unquestioningly 
like in this way where it's like it's the the film treats uh, like like this curse as if it were 100 percent real right and that's what is great about the film too is there isn't some kind of like well, Martin had access to an ancient burial ground, like some dumb bullshit. Or Martin knew a psychic in his family when he was eight years. Like sh- mm-hmm. that, the mystery is always better, and it it doesn't even matter. It's you know, it's in the DNA is, of yeah, the it's, film. It's very powerful. Like the right, this thing is looming over the entire well, film. Just like you would read a biblical story or a Greek myth or something like that. There's there is it has its own logic that is unquestioning, right? Mm-hmm. Magical logic that is unquestioning. And then again, just like you were saying where the family accepts it this scene has kim actually wake uh move to a uh, to the martin calls her from her hospital bed he's outside in the parking lot and he actually allows her to walk again he wills her to walk Just, yeah. yeah for like one 30 seconds to to wave to him from the window and then she goes back to her bed and she can't move again um and anna sees this the mom sees this and is completely so angry and disgusted and shocked and kim is just like accepted like you know because it's like the total acceptance or like acknowledgement of the power power right similarly similarly that martin like pretended or did you know bow to the family when he met them for dinner or whatever it was kim as much she's attracted to martin and courting him whatever you want to say she accepts that the power that he has the power to paralyze the power to kill and the power to allow her to walk and our the way our culture works with the you know power she completely respects it you know at least that's one way you could view it mm-hmm. um then uh <laughs> mart no anna goes and tries to somehow kind of talk to martin reason reason with him to she's gonna see who martin is she's not gonna trust her husband anymore let's go see martin martin sitting at home eating a plate of spaghetti in a disgusting way i i've been saying oh this is (laughs) definitely a gummo homage i hope it is maybe it is maybe it isn't but he um it totally is (laughs) yeah the way he's disgustingly eating a plate of spaghetti feels like this gummo reference but um you know, essentially, Martin tells her nothing. He pretty much just is looking at her, like a smiling bug. Yeah, she's a bug to him. Yeah, and he's just like, no, you know, you can like ask me polite happen things, and you know, I know you can imply that whatever <laughs> you know, my husband did, I didn't do, and it. He doesn't care. These are the rules. This is how it's gonna work. Yeah, she's yeah, totally, totally. She's trying to be pragmatic. She's trying to you know beg. And say, I, you know, this isn't my fault. It's and, not fair. And, yeah. you know, he's pretty... Look, there's a great scene where it's just... Her face. Yeah, it's just uh, Nicole Kidman's reaction shot. And it's very minimal and subtle. He's telling a story about how everyone says he eats spaghetti the same way that his father did. Everyone told him that. Right. And, and I think what's interesting is... Uh, you know, it's a long shot. Instead of focusing on the gross spaghetti, it's focusing on Nicole Kidman's eye, like, slightly twitch as she's horrified at the power this kid has, you know? And... Yeah. Um, <laughs> I love this scene. I, I think this is, like, one of the best scenes in the film of him saying, oh, actually, I discovered, though, that 
I didn't eat my spaghetti just like my father. In fact, everyone eats spaghetti the same way. And, and it, I, it upset him more than it, he felt when his dad was died. died. Yeah. And what is that saying? Maybe it's saying like, you know, the the simple way you view it is, is that we're all the same. All humans are basically alike and that we are all programmed biologically to like exist and see the world in a similar way. Yeah. Well, something like about, I don't know, like traits that are passed down that make you like right. special and right. unique and like that. Oh, totally. That, you know, when someone says you look like your dad, you know, like my dad died, like that never really meant much to me, but you know, like you look just like him, you, you, you know, I'm special. The genes that were passed down are, are specific, you know, they're one-to-one. -one. And then in fact, you find out, no, you are just like everyone else, at least in the basics of your behavior, maybe, you know, is that what the film is saying? That Martin is disgusted or shocked or hurt by the fact that all humans have the same behavior. And it's also that, yeah, like, it that we all have, like, the same fate in a way, too. Yes, death. I mean, maybe we it's also talking about death. We all have the same fallibilities, yes. I guess. And, like, um... And obsessions with the same bullshit, you know, in terms of... And I think he's kind of co communicating why, how it, it m makes complete sense why this is happening to them. Or that he's willing this to happen because the, it it like we're all meant to have like an even like playing field this kind of like law of like well this will happen to you too no matter how much power you feel that you have mm -hmm. like everyone is infallible and like um you can't beat like the ultimate like um will of nature yes that, perfect per dude that's great yes <laughs> totally um and you know it just shows the chops that this this actor has this kid um that he's really one-to-one -one with with nicole kidman and colin farrell he's just doing such a great job just wanted to say that in, in terms of you know this kid deserved an oscar you know, as for as much bullshit as the oscars represent um, so then we basically have the, the hospital saying we can't do anything. You need to just take your kids home because there's, there's nothing wrong with them medically. Um, and then we have a scene where, uh, uh, Nicole Kidman meets with her husband's anesthesiologist slash partner in the hospital and asks for the truth about Martin's father and whose fault is it really right and what's great about the scene is again it's about this kind of uh hierarchy of, of social structures where this was steven's second in command the anesthesiologist the man below the king and this man always wanted to fuck you know the queen and the rep you know what would it mean if my husband it's, it's like the, the cliche like i want to fuck my boss's wife because then that will mean i have the same amount of power, power or whatever yeah and so she gives this guy a hand job for learning the truth um 
and you know she does it without even thinking because she clearly loves her children and that's more about what it is um and she of course it can is confirmed that he was drinking he gave martin's father heart surgery and he died most likely as the result of you know his inability to do surgery correctly because he was drunk right and again there's this kind of comment on the social interaction between the second in command wanting to fuck the the king's wife um now we're in the last kind of third of the film which is the children well we didn't we didn't really talk about how um steven being a doctor <laughs> has this complete like breakdown basically right realizing that like you know he's he, helpless he's helpless like he can't like him and all his knowledge and his whole staff cannot reverse this curse like mm -hmm. he, they can't even like figure out what they don't even see that on. there's a problem right. yeah i mean it's completely mysterious and so like you know he had been really really pushing everyone to do all these tests he gives like there's a scene where he gives his son a spinal tap and it's really like awful and painful yeah and he's just being extremely willful um like just he's trying to do everything yeah, yeah. yeah. and it's and like then, uh, they eventually like go home go home and his kids are now under his care at the house right and his wife who i believe was a doctor in the past too i think she said that she was but she like retired and does a nurse and is she like, an, like she's that. like an administrator now yeah. but um again it's a similar story of like the wife gives up her position she's clearly just as smart as him but she you know for his need to yeah. be a man in charge she lowers herself and is um, a homemaker slash administrator she will never be equal to him and what's interesting oh by the way we didn't even mention this the kids refuse to eat so they're given nasogastric feeding tubes <laughs> we, what connection right 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 yeah, totally. no, but like so this whole last part of the, the film there they all have these feeding tubes which is you know interesting to say the least yeah. um but uh you know film you know cinematography wise we go from the film beginning with the wide kingdom you know that Stephen has which is his house and the the uh hospital and cincinnati itself almost and then we go to him only being in the hospital trying to to desperately fix his children under his care or the hospital's care and so yeah the, now we're finally at the house we're stuck yeah. so like the film gets narrower yes the film as... gets narrower it's it's filmed yeah. more in in mediums and then close-ups um mm -hmm. the children are at home and i think although what is interesting is still she doesn't the wife doesn't stop being able to walk and again i feel like that represents the doubt that maybe what he's saying is bullshit because you know she's not nothing's happening to her but they're desperate they're freaking out and she's she's making fun of him saying like like look stop trying to like just have normal conversation with me this is this is happening you don't want to admit that your children are dying th th there's nothing that's going to change you don't want to admit that there is like a higher power of nature and, and that like, martin is in control yeah you have lost you're below martin right you yeah. are not the king of you know the master you're of your just own like everyone else right you're you're just right. a human you know you just like martin would just say like yes else. you're just yeah. like everyone else you are not the master of your own domain. 
as yeah. Seinfeld would say. Um, yeah. <laughs> and um, hey, we like Seinfeld jokes in this house. Yeah. We are Seinfeld fans. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway. <laughs> we, uh, we, uh, anyway, uh, Colin Farrell, Stephen, uh, freaks out as she says, you know, you've got to take this seriously. And he's like, do we have witches tits? And like, what, what do we need to make some like bullshit, you know, concoction? Like, to reverse the curse right. as if we're in the dark ages. Right, and, like, right. And he's like, yeah. he's, he has a little baby fit and throws shit around as she watches like, you know, this is what's happening, whether you like it or not. Um, I, I just love Nicole Kidman's acting. I love her character. You know, she there is no like desire to be reflected as being the most important man because of the way society views women. She yeah. already lives in a system that views makes her that views her as less than. So there isn't right. like an ego for her to worry about as much, or at least for her. Well, and that's ultimately like another strand of this whole film mm-hmm. because. Bob is the one that gets sacrificed, not the daughter mm-hmm. or the wife, because mm-hmm. they know their place. That's like so clear. Like we'll get to that in a second. Mm-hmm. But they do they 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 surrender any kind of control to a lot of senses because that that's their role. They mm-hmm. they have they accept that role. Right. Bob basically would have had to compete in this kind of animal-like way to become, like, strong and capable and powerful, just like these other two kind right. of, like, competing animal-like god figures, or, right. you know. And it, right. And he has, like, no chance, really, because it's He's already lost. He's Hitler already, right, right. Or whatever. Um, that's, yes. Um, finally, in an act of desperation... Steven kidnaps Martin and puts him in the basement of the house. Um, he's been beaten and, and tortured, it looks like. Uh, he shows his wife, and the way that she reacts is very pragmatic. She goes immediately to the car and begins washing blood stains out of the, the car, right? It's like, how do I protect my family? She's not worried about, you know anything except her children dying and maybe going to jail so she does this then um you know steven starts freaking out and torturing you know martin moore uh these are the closest most narrow parts of of this movie yeah then what here what happens here so he bites him like Really Martin, hard. Martin bites Steven on the arm. Really hard. And it makes him bleed. And then Martin he says, like, uh, shall I stroke it for you? Oh, well, that would hurt anyway. Here, I know how <laughs> to make it better. And then he bites a chunk of flesh out of his own arm. Right. Ugh. And so he, then he says right afterwards, see, it's a metaphor <laughs> Don't you get it? It's yeah. a metaphor, which, you know, a pound of flesh, right? A pound of, yeah, an eye for an eye. Right. That's how the, he goes, do you understand? It's metaphorical. <laughs> you know, it's, I love it. It's a beautiful little line. My example, it's a metaphor is what he says. Um, <laughs> you know, for lack of a better term, also, this scene is a Joker moment. Uh, yeah. It's a Tyler Dern moment. And, <laughs> you know, there there can be a kind of cliche to that 
but uh, I think uh, I think they're beautiful Joker it's, moments. Yeah. They're great. <laughs> um, and I love the scene of the next scene is, you know, Cole Kidman washing blood out of the car with the dog lies in the summer heat like it's just a normal summer day you know what i mean yeah so basically steven's at his breaking ultimate Mm -hmm. breaking point yeah where he is threatening martin to make this stop with violence and the threat of death Mm -hmm. so he's holding like he has a gun we finally see that steven has a gun and he's pointing the gun at him at martin and mm-hmm. um you know really like really convincing him that this is like what he's gonna mm-hmm, do he's gonna mm-hmm. end his life you know yeah and there's these amazing close-ups um of everything whether it be this is one of my favorite shots which is a scene of martin uh, as a and there's a gun barrel, rifle barrel pointed to his head, but you don't see Steven or even the rest of the gun. And it's just this beautiful scene of him over his head behind in a white background, and he's breathing heavily. You can f- you can watch him, and you can feel the adrenaline that must be rushing through. He's afraid. He is afraid of dying. Like, Steven isn't just the little kid from the Twilight Zone that can make people's <laughs> head explode. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Stephen, oh, you mean, you or, mean I'm Martin. sorry, Martin, Martin isn't just the little kid from the Twilight Zone that can make you know <laughs> your head explode. Uh, Martin, although there is this right. magic that exists, mm-hmm. he's he is afraid of dying, and it's just this beautiful scene of him slowly taking little mini breaths. It's gr- yeah. again an amazing performance, yeah. and I love the shot so much of just this fucking gun barrel, and it's that and to the right of the frame. Um, so Nicole Kidman ultimately, like Anna, mm-hmm. uh, convinces Stephen not to to kill him to do it yeah. because she says also like we'll all die. And however she gets him to stop, um, then we've got a lot of weird mind games. Kim fucking with Bob, saying you know you're gonna die, and Bob cuts. Can his- I have here? mp3 player after you yeah, die there's, there's a great yeah like a great parody or, or comment about you know our our meaningless c- consumer culture where she's like you know i've lost all these mp3 players before but can i have your mp3 player when you die you know what i mean uh and then bob i think she's basically kind of showing like i've always had more privileges oh right too. and like you you're gonna be the one mm-hmm. she's warning him which is what ends up happening too by the way yeah and so the next scene you know he cuts his hair he gets desperate like it, like Bob all of these desperate. last parts are de- these desperate like everyone's last final desperate act right to to survive s- survive yeah so mm-hmm. bob after his sister's like you're gonna die <laughs> yeah he goes to the kitchen and he cuts all his hair off because <laughs> that was one thing that his dad mm-hmm. wanted him to do and he didn't do right and and so he like he, keep in mind that's hard because he had to like crawl cut, crawl yeah. cut his hair off and then crawl and see his dad in the kitchen and you know and the the, the kid says i want to be a cardiologist just like you dad yeah exactly i'm gonna be your I think that was another thing is like you want to be an ophthalmologist right and it was like different yeah 
Yeah, and that, totally. and, and you know, I'm not a rebel. I'm gonna be like you. I'm prostrating myself to you, Father. I am your prince. I am your heir. Your heir. Yeah. And <laughs> even though we know you've lost your power, and the, you know Martin is the true king, I you are the arbiter of the, the what is gonna be handed down. Yeah. Um, and then he literally. Steven goes and interviews this is a weird comedy part where he goes and interviews the kids principal at their school to see which is the better child which is you know it's you could say it's a goofy moment I, I love it it's a weird surreal moment yeah he's like which one is better um the principal like I, I, could, I couldn't say um then you have Nicole Kidman you know tending tends to, to Martin's wounds yes and kissing his feet yeah um, and this is really like you start feeling like this, you know, he really feels like a god at this point. Like mm-hmm. when she does that, right in front of the kids, she shows him, "This is who you're gonna kill." Look at these children, and yeah, please don't kill us. Like it's still these desperate, right. desperate, it, desperate moments. And then he's literally like, "You can take them away now," you know. Yeah. And then uh, there's another final scene where well. well Kim, okay, so there's two things happening. Kim gets out of bed and begs um, Martin to, to kind of go. Spare her. Spare her and, like, we could go Make away together. Walk. Yeah, like, exactly. I'll leave my, do you want me? Like I, think- I mean, he had, he, Martin, had uh, shown some favoritism to, to Kim. He was attracted to her, I think. He allowed her to walk again. Right. Like, after that time. Right. So, I think she's, like you could do it again we could yeah, leave yeah. i'll let you go but i think i think i think martin just does you know he knows this is what must happen okay so um after she's rejected by martin she goes back the mother goes in the bedroom with her husband and attempts to have sex and what happens well S- steven doesn't like at this point, you know, I think he's just so fucked up from mm-hmm. everything that he, mm-hmm. like, he has to choose which family member at this point. Like, mm-hmm. it's, that's the decision that they've made. Mm-hmm. And Anna um, lays there uh, and basically, like, splays herself for mm-hmm. him. And then he just does, like, he doesn't react so she comes like right up next to his face in their bed and sit and says like um they're like laying together and she's like no matter how harsh this may sound um we should kill a child because we can always have another child right you you and i are are not too old right to have another kid right so we basically implying don't kill me like i can produce more, more children heirs, right and, and, and like it won't be the end of the world <laughs> and it's again her pragmatism i mean obviously she's trying to save herself like she can't she knows okay sexually he doesn't care but come on let's think about this logically you can have another kid you can't have another wife you know what i mean right. not like me and then we have the scene of, of the daughter climbing down to beg martin and my favorite one of my all-time favorite scenes in this film is after the daughter has been saved and her wounds are being treated she's begging her father to favor her and she says like i think 
You have every right. What does she say? I think she says something like, um, you know, you gave me life, so, mm-hmm. like, it makes sense that you could just take it away. You have that mm-hmm. power. You are, like, <laughs> this god or whatever. Yeah. Um, you gave me life, and only you have the right to take it away. That makes perfect sense. That's what she says. And she's like, oh, look at that. You are my lords and masters whose life's like, I will obey your wishes. You know? Yeah. See, she she knows her place. She's not trying to bargain, actually. Like, she... She's begging, like, she, a pauper on the ground. Right, right. Exactly. Um, She's, she's saying to you, like she's she's essentially like a beggar who has lost everything and can do nothing but say you are my godfather like i and i don't judge you for it i love you for it it is okay i i think you know really she's trying to get him to choose to kill bob so she's saying like i don't think what you're doing is bad it makes perfect sense you gave us life and you can take it's interesting how it works because like bob was the first one to to try to he was the one that so yeah these are the whatever the um things of of oh uh, acceptance ex- death or whatever so she's the Page acceptance the right right uh um bob was the bargaining right, like right. he was well, bargaining their own versions of grief it's right yeah it's like they're all on their different levels of it right but the bargaining like you can't really bargain bargain with it you're not gonna like win you know Mm -hmm. ultimately you're gonna like lose Mm -hmm. with that and because she was the one that accepted it yeah she gets you know like the timeline makes sense like the wife says like all right let's choose a child let's accept it and kill them right right and then the daughter says like i accept you as like like this is like and then bob is the one that's left and then finally you know bob's eyes start to bleed and again the mother still hasn't lost her her legs feeling which is still strange um and the film basically ends with him putting pillowcases over their heads and they're all tied up with duct tape and Their it, mouths are covered with duct tape. Bob's eyes are bleeding. They all get put in chairs or on the sofa in the living in room. In a little circle. And he, and the, 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 the pillowcase. It's back to this kind of wide, wide shots. A, a little, yeah, it's a little more wide. Like, yeah, oh, yeah, you're right. It's yeah. total, totally wide. Yeah. Um, and the, again, I, like I said this before, and I'm sure other people have acknowledged it, like the pillowcase stuff is feels like a clear homage to funny games um the michael henke film um and he goes around in a circle with the gun with the rifle yeah implying randomly he's gonna pick who dies but he puts like his little hat over his face <laughs> right and uh, I, somehow though i always felt he chose to kill bob i i don't know what it is but i, I don't Even think it was random. like well okay when he goes around, he he misses two shots to the wife and the daughter. Yeah, like they they were about to get killed, right? But it just so happened to be Bob, right? And then, but it's also like like I said, it was very clear that that was the yeah. He's the youngest one. He's the one he yeah. knows the least. And then there's a you know there's a scene of although you don't see Bob's face, he's actually blood comes out of him and. I think in terms of like popularity or how people watch films, 
uh, seeing like a child's body with fake blood coming out of it is a, you know, it could bum some people out. It could it could uh, alienate some viewers. It's not as fun as the lobster, by any well, means. Well, yeah, there's like this scene that we didn't mention, but it's like when Bob is bargaining with with Stephen, his father, and he's like, "Hey, Dad!" Like it's like when his eyes are bleeding and mm-hmm. he's like about to die. Mm-hmm. He's like, "Dad." your best friend yeah 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 yeah. and he's like i don't i don't have a best friend he's like i have three two guys and a girl in my class and it's like just this like beautiful little puppy dog (laughs) you feel like so bad for him and again there's a kind of wholesomeness but also a kind of like i don't know parody parody of the way that like relationships and and, i don't know our language and anyway the film finally ends with them in this diner we've seen before and Bob is gone, and Martin watches over the family like the Lord that he is. He is one. We said he was like a looming presence, yeah. yeah. And in their orbit, and finally they leave. But Kim stares at Martin, you know. And this this is the biological dance. Her genes are are poised to want to like procreate with him because he is the winner of the game. You know, the, he is the new arbiter of fate, right? If this yeah. is what, if this is what the film is about, you know, the concept of fate and, uh, Stephen was the arbiter of fate, the one that was the leader and the king and the general, and he saved people. He controlled the human heart, which is like the thing that makes us be human. And somehow Martin was, was the clear winner of the battle. And the breaker, and uh, you know, Stephen's the breaker of the curse. So, um, let's take a break, I think, and then we can talk about Maps to the Stars. Okay, so we are back from our little break, and now we're talking about <coughs> the second film, uh, Maps to the Stars, directed by David Cronenberg in 2014. Um, we briefly went over this film. But, you know, I just think it's an incredible movie about Hollywood in the same way, I don't know, Mulholland Drive is an incredible film about Hollywood. Um, And this one is, uh, you know, it starts... uh, The thing about this movie is I think in some ways it could have been, like, a much more successful TV show in that there's a lot of characters that are introduced and there's a lot of in-universe background information. Like there's a character named Havana whose mother was like a big star in the 60s, the 50s and 60s who died in the 70s. And we assume she's some kind of like timeless, you know, Marilyn-esque figure, right? Like Marilyn died young, so she's forever young in the hearts of like all of, of Hollywood and pop she's, culture. Yeah, she's untouchable right. and uncorruptible in Re- her rep, uh, reputation. And and it's like if you watch if this was a TV show, they would probably get into like who this character was with exposition a little like they would I can imagine 20 minutes being devoted to this character and all the films she was in because the an average moviegoer I feel like watches it and might completely miss why is there this weird young character talking to this woman and who is you know her mother you know the character of Havana who's clearly supposed to be Lindsay Lohan um, mixed with I don't know who 
is trying to get the part of a remake. Um, um, her mother made a movie in the 60s, and they're remaking this film, and Havana wants to be in this film. Um, Havana's mother was killed in a fire, and Havana's also claiming that her mother molested her as a girl. Um, again, anyway, the point I was just trying to make is that there's a lot of information to glean from tech, from dialogue, and it's easy to miss that information, you know? But I think similarly to the last way we, we analyzed the last film, let's kind of go through it. The film begins with, uh, uh, the main character, um, whose name is Agatha Weiss coming into L.A. on the Greyhound. Um, she, <laughs> she is... Mobile and drive. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. She comes in, you know, it's the cliche, right? Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to talk about this first scene? Yeah, so I guess, like, you know, she's already had these plans. All we know is that she has these plans, kind of, that are very, like, the the kind of like um reason why like somebody simple would want to go to like LA to see these like sites she rents this limo that's that's uh, a chauffeur driven by Robert Pattinson <laughs> like right after he made Twilight pretty much yeah and <clears throat> was this after metro metrop yeah metropolis uh Yes, it was mm-hmm. a couple years. Okay. But I think he was very fresh in people's minds in terms of the end of the Twilight series of movies in like sure. 2012 or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, he, he plays this very small shallow... Role. Yeah, right. a small role, That's but a, is like, yeah, his character's... A sh- uh, uh, an out-of-work actor, writer, mm-hmm. who's a chauffeur so he can eat, and he's taking um, Agatha around... Um, to some sites she wants to see, like she wants to see some some like famous people's houses. Um, it begins with like some like vague kind of funny dialogue about how he drove Al Gore and just some producers that nobody really cares about. They're not like it's not like he was like I drove Bella Hadid around, you know, <laughs> even though she wasn't big in 2014. But like uh, you know, I drove Kim Kardashian around. You know, he's not even he's a shitty actor who no one knows. And as a chauffeur, he's only like driven around like, kind of losers. Yeah, B actors or whatever. Or even yeah. if they're important rich people, they're not they're not celebrities in the, that sense. Um, so some some. Like, plot important dialogue gets dropped that uh she became friends with carrie fisher of star wars fame over twitter right over twitter and that carrie asked her to come to la to get a job and that she was going to help her um so one of the main themes of this film is the film is the theme of like incest in hollywood that hollywood is this incestuous prison where there's actual nepotism. Carrie Fisher is an example. Her mother was Debbie Reynolds, and as the daughter of a famous person, she became a famous person. And then the other idea that the scripts that are written, the stories that are told are rehashes, either literally like remakes, or, and in this film there's a remake that that's being made, or it's kind of like everybody is trapped in this Jungian archetypal hero, you know, journey-type film, um, and no new stories are being told. And everybody is in Hollywood is repulsed and attracted to Hollywood, but nobody can... There's no new blood. It's 
you know, an incestuous trap, right? That's what the writer and the director really talked about as a theme. And I think those themes are pretty apparent um, mm-hmm. from the start. Um, I think, uh, you know, there's a, also there's a lot of just like straight up funny dialogue about like people bragging about being knowing famous people. Mm-hmm. Just um, at the beginning, she we don't know this, but she goes to see her old house, Agatha. Agatha's parents are famous people. Uh, or, or important people. Her mom is like a Chris Jenner momager, and her dad. I guess we already talked about this, and like when we went over the, the plot, right? Yeah, we did. <laughs> but needless to say, she like. Uh, this movie is incredibly weirdly complex, and to some people, it might be totally boring. But yeah, I think. Um, I think so. She goes to this place where it says, "Did you know Benji Weiss, the child actor, used to live in this home?" What she's not telling people is that she is the sister, sister yeah. of Benji, and that many years ago, when she was a girl, she burned down their childhood home while giving Benji sleeping pills, um, almost killing him. She left with burns, and her family disowned her because she went to a mental hospital. She also has schizophrenia. So she was somewhere in Florida before this. She said she's from Jupiter, Florida. That that she basically was. She's in, been there for like the last seven years or something, right? Right. She's been to, in, in a mental hospital, and now she's come back to L.A. without an, like telling it. her her family or anything. So she's just there. She met Carrie Fisher on Twitter, and so this is what she's here to do. Right. So we we know she that, said that she's the original bad babysitter. Right. And the bad and similar to the other thing we mentioned, bad babysitter is an in-universe like a movie which is basically Benji, the boy character Agatha's little brother, starred in a hit comedy movie called Bad Babysitter, which was like a teen sex comedy. So does she mean that she is the one that was based off of? No, she's just saying wink wink. I was the original bad babysitter, you know, cuz I used to you know, babysit Benji. You know, she was a sister, but oh. it's not literal. But, okay. But um, the point is, is that Benji, her brother, is is in a big hit movie series. Uh, the next scene is one of a million eyes all time favorite scenes, at least for me, in a comedy or satire, whatever you want to call it. Um, Benji meets a dying girl in um, a hospital. Uh, a 12 year old dying girl sits benji enters here do you want to describe it so this like you know he, he's clearly like this kind of weird mini backstreet boy just type a- looking just justin bieber kid <laughs> with like weird he looks like he, he has like weird classic they like did like a retro version of his hair right. that looks like maybe like, like Justin Timberlake yes, or something. Yes, that's what it looks like. For it her. really does look like that. With his like weird crew jacket. Right, leather jacket. Yeah. Yeah. Like so he comes to like this children's hospital to meet this, his fan, like a fan of his who's, who's dying. dying. And he comes into the room and he's like, um, do you have an iPad? He asks her. He asks her if she has an iPad, and she says no. So he, he looks at his assistant and is like, "Get her an iPad." And then, I mean, it's very weird that the way the line delivery is is you know I loved your film Bad Babysitter, 
And he's like, yeah, you know, it made $780 million. Like, as if this girl who's dying kind of cares. Um, and all he, all he can do is give her the numbers. Then he asks if she has an iPad. Uh, he and says, then, yeah, can we get her an iPad, a mini? We'll load it up, watch shit in 3D. You know, it's it's just such an absurd, weird set of, like, lines. It's so real. Uh and then he was like, you know, I got a, a jacket when the film wrapped that said, bad babysitter in gold, you know, get your swag on. Yeah, so he's just like. He's bragging. but Yeah, he's right. Yeah, it's like too weird. Somehow it's like to this dying girl that probably just has a crush on him instead of talking about human shit. Like, are you OK? What's wrong with you? What's your, you know, what's your name? He can only reflect what he knows, which is how much money the film made. If he has, she has an iPad or not, and what, you know, cool clothes. It's, like, ridiculous. It's insane. Yeah, no, this is, like, your favorite line um, that comes next. Right. And then he says, you know. So, so how did you get AIDS, Cammie? <laughs> She's like, uh, I don't have AIDS. I have non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And he's completely confused and, you know, looks he looks back and he looks at his manager like you're fucking dead. You know, he doesn't have any real response. He just says, I'm going to make a movie about your life. Rod <laughs> oh, yeah. That one. I love that. Ryan Gosling will play me and I'll play you, which is a beautiful line. If you miss it, he's saying he's going to play a dying 12 year old girl. Like what? I guess yeah. he's going to go and drag for this theoretical film. They're going to make about it, about it, her life. Um, so then we're outside the hospital. He's, like, confused about what non-Hodgkin's lymphoma is. Uh, and then... I mean, non is either is or is. Right, right. <laughs> um, so then he talks some shit to his manager, and he says this very weird thing. Uh, he says... He talks to his manager and he says, Ha, huh, Arnold Kubler-Ross has spoken. Great rabbi of death and dying, man of wisdom, Zen fucking archer. I've got a nickname for you, Museum of Tolerance, which, by the way, is like a brutal reference to the Holocaust. Museum of Tolerance is like where people talk about, where you see all the footage of Holocaust shit. So this is like his like Jewish manager and it's like just saying like i got a better name for you museum of tolerance like meaning like you're you're like some jewish dude who's gonna fucking die it's insane it's like a you again it's a line you can totally miss the way he says it like great rabbi of death and dying like it feels like a poem yeah to me. you know what i mean it's just the kind of absurd poetic absurdity that i love yeah like the the kind of like through this like mean teen actors mm -hmm. like yelling weird, yeah weird yelling at him but it, like the the words are like poetic and yeah. weirdly like over the top like just like these right. smart you, insults like well, right yeah. it, it feels like written by a writer but then at the same time it's like you know why would a 13 year old who just didn't even know what non-hodgkins was say i got a better name for you museum of tolerance like it's a twisted you know demonic nazi line to say <laughs> to somebody who's jewish but it's like said by a justin bieber look like it's even weirder <laughs> and then they more directly you know he called he says like 
why don't you show me your cunt? You know, he's like, I know you have one, you faggot. Um, it's just a brutal, more directly, like, anti-Semitic, you know, homophobic line. But it, again, it shows this, like, strange absurdity of, yes, the film expositionally is trying to showcase that this kid has a giant ego, but it's this a poetic absurdity, hate-filled His black poison. heart. Yes, yeah, that I love. Yeah, his poison corrupted heart. This is, like, this... 14 year old kid yeah and in hollywood right it's just completely already like corrupted by this like evil twisted like um ideology or something right yeah exactly ideology is the best word the the ideology of hollywood that you know it's that's nothing but the worst most evil things you can say to another person um so then see I, i think what's interesting is you know some people could say i'm like a person that's always like what's the worst thing you could say about a movie i love you could say oh it's just a satire of hollywood which there's nothing wrong with that that's great but i feel i think the film becomes much more than that in that the beginning similar to killing of a sacred deer is a satire of of like the way we talk and act as humans socially uh okay so the next scene is an important establishing scene which is uh well the showing uh what's this weiss's name it's the father weiss um his name is the mother's name is christina where is it uh, uh i don't know his name's stafford weiss well stafford's like a kind of uh he's kind of like a an amalgam of all new age hollywood hollywood therapists in that uh he's practicing some kind of faux catharsis meets reiki meets like freudian jungian psychology and basically it seems like he's practicing none of those and everything at once you know what i mean which is like we see this Lindsay lohan-esque character havana on the ground in her out in, in uh underwear and like uh stafford is is basically saying like talk about how your mom molested you and you're a motherfucker i'm not gonna let you go um he's getting her to like confront her mother her dead mother right yeah and like well like holding her arms behind her back and making her like essentially like freak out and cry for this like catharsis right and that's that's the thing it's like this new age like late 90s we're gonna punch a foam pillow and say like no i let the like child in me go you know all those things are well and good if they help you but i think there's a lot of false Mm -hmm. um things being sold in terms of the way that things are marketed as like you're gonna be healed as long as you empower yourself and say you're an important amazing victim who has beaten your abuser you know the work that comes with actually confronting those things and the 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 methods of dealing with like abuse are so much more complex than you know some guy giving you essentially a back rub while he tells well yeah it's like enforcing also like all of these kinds of things to kind of come up to the surface that's like there's this kind of interplay with like whether or not this is like a um this like abuse was a um 
false memory or whatever like right that. at first that's a question is, is is she making up the fact that her mother molested her we don't know for we sure no because the whole time is kind of very like back and forth from it could, whether it, is it could or not. be right yeah because the film is about incest um yeah uh but the point is is like what and what i think is uh what's really great is that uh like um i think i love the i don't know how many other films or tv show whatever you call it media showcases this really grotesque version of um the new age quack therapist who tells you that you are you know going to like let out the magical innocent child of Jung and destroy the evil mother and I'm gonna be there's a lot of reinforcing also like capitalist like brand tropes of like you're the fighter you deserve to be a millionaire you deserve to be who you are like I'm gonna make you feel about whoever you are like whatever you've done I'm all I'm doing is reinforcing what you already believe about yourself and I'm gonna call you an amazing person not like therapy where there's some objective person that's listening and trying to you know all therapy can be fucked up etc cetera, etc cetera. but in the broad strokes of this person isn't a real therapist they're essentially giving you a massage for your ego and they're saying like whatever bad it doesn't matter if she's telling the truth or not about the abuse he yeah. is no she believes it or at least wants to believe it so he's reinforcing that into her own ego okay so this amazing scene happens then we have havana uh watching her own mother's old film that she wants to star in and i think we should talk about the uh the poem here okay um so okay because it's the poem first... is talked about all the time this is where we first hear it yeah there's a poem within this movie that keeps getting uh re it's like a mantra yeah it's like a monster and it, this so... is okay so there's it's a poem that's based on it's a real poem um we amelia and i had to look it up um so the only the the one that they have here it, it's like a better translation of it like on in the movie than we can we can find right online. right so this is because it's like a french poem right so let's see um okay the poem is called liberty um liberté <laughs> it's a 1942 poem by french poet paul eluard um, it's an ode to liberty written during the German occupation of France during World War II. Um, and one of the, the, the characters, all, most of the characters seem to quote it. So the first time we hear it is... Well, d specifically the, the mom in this movie, that's the first time we see it. The mother is in a film from the 60s. Yeah. And the yeah, and she says the poem in this love scene. Yeah. The poem, like the line that most of them say, because like it's actually like a long poem. It's I a think. very long poem. And but the for the most part they say on the flesh that says yes on all the foreheads of all my friends on every hand held out. I write your name. Mm -hmm um and so like julian moore's character havana is like watching her own mother's movie and just like in it's like her mother died young she was like burned to death in a fire 
yeah and she's like in this movie she's classically like super pretty if like i could compare her to anyone it would probably be um like what's her name from the notebook like oh yeah like it specifically her in the notebook it's kind of like i feel like that the movie that her mother is supposed to be in Mm -hmm. is kind of like a reference to that rachel mcadams rachel mcadams like she kind of like looks like her she's just like super pretty and like young younger than havana's character so like right she's watching this um like the the movie the eternal like youth of her mother and if but also it's weird by the way is havana's mother we know we know that she burned to death and died and in the film i noticed before we hear the poem line she says like did you why did you start all those fires so again there's a whole thing with because agatha burned down the house that her parents were in while her little little brother slept of course nobody died so there's again there's all these characters that essentially do the same self-destructive things and they're all products of incest so we have connections with all these characters so the next scene is havana with her i guess manager um and the manager character is i don't know what her name is as an actor but her name's genie she's fucking hilarious I, i don't know i really like this character um and you know essentially uh havana says she needs a new chore whore aka an assistant which is a pretty great name seems like something that Lindsay lohan would literally call somebody like my chore whore (laughs) um also like i love the way that uh uh julianne moore sits it seems like very Lindsay lohan-esque they got her hair down really perfectly. Oh, and her tops. Like, her, her boob, outfits. Boob shirts. With, like, a see-through, like, purple sheer mm-hmm. tank top with a red bra on or anything. And the bra mm-hmm. is, like, showing on the side. Like Yeah, totally. It is literally, like, Lindsay Lohan. And she must have studied... Her mannerisms. Yeah, stuff. her mannerisms. Julian Moore's acting, and this is unbelievable. She's great. <laughs> um, there's just this amazing. She desperately wants to act in this remake of this, you know, film her mother starred in, and you know, whatever they. It's just, there's plot stuff that she doesn't think that she's gonna get the role, but I, I think the point is, and she embodies this like weird actor trope perfectly. She's just pouty, her, yeah, and like acts like this child kind mm. of everyone's taking care of her and she's like where's my like where, where is this like please like give me everything yeah i need to draw heart you know? <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so she then she starts like having um i guess like a mental breakdown in some way mm-hmm. where she literally it is in, like implying that she's seeing her dead mother right she's seeing visions she's seeing visions yeah of her dead mother alive talking to her and saying literally the meanest things like of all time mm-hmm. and like in this scene she's in the bathtub telling her she's like, like yeah what is she saying the worst pornographic cliche this childhood rape fantasy get a life 
uh, I don't know, which is just this great thing of like, oh, no, you're just using it. You're you pathetic know. that you want to play me, mm-hmm. even though you hate me. You're desperate to be me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she says, like, the worst thing ever, which is like, you're never going to get that role. Um, and you don't even have the chops. I did it, and I was young and gorgeous. <laughs> you with your shitty tits and that used up old hole. It stinks worse than me. <laughs> And she like freaks out. She's like, "No, no!" She's like Which crying, is just grabbing her, her head. Fear, right? Well, this is truly like so, to me like accurate to somebody's own self like dialogue in their head about like some washed up actress who mm-hmm. wants to one. yeah want to be like I wish I was like I wish I was like young and pretty because like the the her mother is like this like eternally beauty will never be um tainted and this um reputation right and she's rotting in this way and Mm -hmm. women like in hollywood like just this kind of rotting sense of Mm self-esteem like and it's like everyone in hollywood even these dead actresses are mocking you and and like you'll never ever be pure and famous and beautiful mm-hmm. forever and right so you're you might as well just Fuck die right. like yeah <laughs> that's basically yeah. what i get out of that then one the next scene is like a, a vision and then by benji it's a little it's the girl that he saw uh that was dying of non-hodgkins and she says the line too, uh, the poem line Um, I think to me, this, this character, his, the, the visions of her are a little more confusing to me because, you know, I guess we understand why Havana seeing her mother, right? Representing all her insecurities and, and fears. Benji, well, she, right. Go ahead. And then what are, why is Benji seeing the little dead girl? Well, first, I mean... I don't know exactly the answer, but right, I was right. going to say she's wearing a wedding dress, so. Mm, right. Is that his sister? His sister wanted to have this marriage ceremony right. with him right. and then set the house on fire. Right, so. so that's something we learn is that his sister, Agatha, before, back in the day, had yeah. a wedding ceremony with him and her, saying they were consecrated to each other before she tried to kill him. Yeah, I think that she's coming to him basically trying to get him to end it while everything is still pure. Mm-hmm. Because he eventually... Like, they are these pure characters, him and his sister, even though they're like, he's an awful person, there's still some kind of air. Well, yeah, as the film goes on, it, for sure, he's a really victim bizarre. to a certain degree. Yeah. Uh, um, um, the, their parents are brother and sister, so there's the... The we'll get Hollywood, to that point. Like right. this movie is the so Hollywood incest thing. Confusing. These children are stuck in this like cycle of incest and 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 you know incest is like nepotism, and the idea of no new idea, no new blood. Everything stuck in like a prison of just like stinking corruption. corruption. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, again, we hear the poem of Agatha taking her schizophrenia this is the medicine. Time we've heard it, yeah. Right. And the poem is called Liberty. So when they say, I write your name, they're saying, like, this is my freedom. My freedom is 
maybe at first in her case, Agatha trying to reconnect with her family. Um, maybe. I don't know. I mean, I guess the whole plan from the beginning was... I don't know if the plan from the beginning was to kill ever, to kill the whole family. I think she, originally maybe she wanted to reconnect. I don't know. Well, this movie, this, the maps of the stars, is about a fate which cannot be um, avoided, mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah, yeah. The, the fate of Hollywood and the incest and dirt and nepotism and well and like the liberty the free. freedom mm -hmm. i mean all i think about is like karma or something like mm -hmm. if there's like this fate which you can't avoid uh-huh the the freedom becomes about like this kind of like death mm -hmm. overdose um f like self destruction self-harm and like that th then you stay in this like eternal realm of purity and youth and stuff right right that's the right? other thing like all there's a scene we'll see in the future where every girl character is called an old piece of shit who's menopausal mm -hmm. except for the one that died when she was young and who will be forever viewed as like an angel god which is totally how we we, we view yeah, yeah yeah actors um so the next step is more kind of exp like plot stuff which is like a meeting with um benji and like bad babysitter too Okay, so this is just a, a, a basic like plot scene of Benji trying to convince some studio executives that he's not a drug addict. I mean, it is interesting. It's like, you know, the usual story. Benji is a 13-year-old boy who got addicted to heroin or something similar after the success of Bad Babysitter 1. So there's some plot stuff trying to showcase, you know, how powerful they are. But, you know, they're still existing within the... Uh, the they have to prostrate themselves in front of uh, the Hollywood executives. Benji then throws up because he's just so embarrassed. His mother cradles him. Um, basically, I think another really important scene and a funny scene that we should talk about uh, or is, is basically these girls here making fun of like older actresses. So it's like some teenage girls with Benji and, and his friend and they're basically what saying that this girl is actually 23 she's not even old or young um okay so, uh, so are they talking about an actress yeah I, um so he, then in a very important story is, is told like about some benji's friend who's an actor too says uh there's some like super fan that buys his shit for like thousands of dollars from his trailer you know like so this is something that like isn't that weird <laughs> like in terms of like again it's like another like satire about the obsessiveness of like the hollywood fan but the fan that buys his shit which you know feels very uh i don't know like the basics of like you know the human body of blood and shit and spit like almost, um, you know, I think of uh, the Holy Mountain where the Jordorowski character like helps turn yeah. the guy's shit into gold kind of thing. Like these, yeah. the building blocks of like human, what makes us human, you know? Or successful. 
Well, right. Or whatever. Well, that, yes, this guy can turn his shit into gold. You know, that yeah. that is yeah, that's, that's a really great success. point. Yeah, yeah, totally. That Hollywood, like, takes this person <clears throat> and, and revels and, like, puts, you know, the, they're really more important. They're more important than anyone else. Their shit doesn't stink. Their shit is worth thousands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, you know, these boys make a bunch of, like, shit jokes. Uh, and... They then talk about Havana's mother, how she was actually really beautiful and she died young. So we know who these girls, uh, you know, look up to. Um, dead people. Yes, dead people. Dead girls that are forever young. Uh, there's a threesome scene with Havana <laughs> where she later, like, uh, sees her mother. Uh, um, yeah, in the bed. And, 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 you know, she can't perform sexually. She says, yeah, her excuse is like, I guess I'm a lousy dyke. In reference to like a threesome, like she couldn't get with the girl. But really it's, she sees more of her mom who reinforces her. Yeah. Shit. Um, Then we see a scene that's important that we're going to discuss where we see a cameo by Carrie Fisher. Carrie Fisher, plot-wise, asks Havana to take on Agatha as an assistant. But why is Carrie Fisher important as a cameo, right? Like, it reinforces the message of the film, which is Mm -hmm. what? That she's the daughter of a a famous actress, and Mm -hmm. that's why she was an actress herself. Right. There's, I mean, similar to, like, something like a, a Greek myth, people's parents are you know are like these huge figures my mother was a goddess who died right like benji's parents are like the king and queen of hollywood that control things you know what i mean like every, the the it does feel like you know zeus or the underworld or something like well, that yeah. the characters in these films. have we mentioned that they're siblings yeah right the mother and father of agatha and benji are si- siblings and so they are the they are literally the children of incest, and uh, so there's all this this again, I think the idea that you can't escape this poisoned bloodline that is Hollywood. Um, later on, uh, there's a scene with Benji where he's talking about to his therapist. Yeah what the dreams i guess well it's like so he's been in therapy i guess for his addiction some time right right right. he's sober too (laughs) but like his therapist he like he starts talking about these weird things that he's seeing he Mm -hmm. saw a dead girl Mm -hmm. the girl that died of non-hodgkin's lymphoma Mm -hmm. that he visited in the hospital and so she hears him say this is kind of probably like if you were a therapist and you heard somebody say like that they saw this thing you know Mm. she's like okay um let's talk about like the real issue here Mm -hmm. like let i like let's break through and talk about what happened to you all those years ago Mm -hmm. when your Your sister sister tried to to kill you yeah right and and he speaks about like her giving him pills so he, there was a wedding ceremony and this was mm-hmm. supposed to be them marrying each other which isn't that weird because yeah and the 
you know, I think what's interesting is it's it's kind of different from we see the Benji character as a, a kind of parody of the disgusting evil Hollywood child. Um, and then finally this character, we see the flaws uh, in the character that this is like this kid, you who's know, hurt. who's hurt and some and horrible fucked up shit has happened. Um, we go more to like Havana dealing with the John Cusack new age character who's again basically it's a plot device to let him know that his daughter who's homicidal schizophrenic is out of the nut house and he should be worried about you know him trying to to see the the family um yeah I think there's a a cool little scene where uh John Cusack. Well, number one, Benji's reading the um, the poem, the Liberty poem. Again, he says it like a mantra, right? Yeah. Then, uh, I don't know. I think this is an interesting scene. You want to talk about it? Yeah. So, um, so. The father basically comes in, he, he's like, I think he, he overhears him reading this poem, which is like, somehow this weird sign that something weird is going on. Mm -hmm. Um, and so he comes in and he, um, sits on the bed and he just basically is like, um, I want you to know if like, if you see savannah or no agatha sorry yeah yeah agatha if you see agatha Mm -hmm. you must tell me like immediately because of what happened before and he's the father is clearly like trying to control this whole thing knowing that agatha's gonna come back in their life no matter what and he's trying to control that and trying to warn him and um tell him that you know she might be coming back basically yeah and i think what's interesting about the scene is that you know he warns his son and john cusack warns the son and uh but really i think what's most interesting is that ben the benji character is like shocked and disgusted at the hypocrisy of like the father like the way he he pretends like Agatha isn't alive, even though Agatha, you know, tried to kill the whole family. Um, similarly, she's been cast out of like paradise, right? Agatha, because of the whole idea, I think of reputation, actually, well, right? And she also knows the secret that the mom and the dad are brother and sister, right, so right. she has to go. She 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 dare try killing them. Now, you know, in real life, if if a child burned down the parents' house and tried to like marry their brother or whatever in a ceremony, I can understand there might be some issues. But generally, you know, I think parents try to uh, they love their kids and try to deal with it the best they can. But instead, in this case, they pretend like she doesn't exist. And it seems like Benji is is like totally, you know, he sees the hypocrisy and the kind of how disgusting it is to just act like well, the child I think that alive. he doesn't have any connection to anyone. Right. And like Agatha actually was the only person. Cause we see later on that they have this very specific connection mm-hmm. and that he can only like truly relate to her mm-hmm. because they 
they're like nobody else right you know they're they're these um strange enigmas within like this whole system they're both products of incest and they can't relate to anybody else they're cut off in their own weird bloodline and like they're they're isolated right and it goes beyond just oh i'm a kid who's a part of hollywood and i don't relate to the normies it's that i am like you said i'm the bloodline of an incestuous you know family yeah and i my fam you know his there's he's got no one to really like yeah he relate has a to. therapist it's like almost like the therapist could never understand what he means when he's saying saying this thing like that right. happened to him right. or that is a part of his consciousness like she she could never relate to that right right so he's alone the, the only person that could relate to him is like this um this dead girl you mm-hmm. know the fan who, of hers his, fa- his yeah of his yeah yeah was, i guess that's the thing it was his bride the one that loved him who's gone and dead and maybe he was supposed to be a bride he was supposed to be dead too so maybe he sees himself in her somehow that's why he said that he would be um he would play her and ryan gosling and and him would be yep. married. oh my god you you're know? so right he says i will play you you know he sees himself as <laughs> amelia saw a cockroach Sorry about that. Uh, don't worry. We all hate cockroaches. Um, Some people don't mind. Them. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do though. So because they can fly, they fly across the room. They can land in your mouth or your <laughs> your <yeah>. ear. <laughs> I think okay. I would say like really we could skip. So there's some important stuff. Savannah or sorry, Havana finds out she didn't get the role that, to play her mother in the remake. <laughs> of the film her mother was in in the 60s um they start shooting bad babysitters too uh which is basically like some kind of porkies-esque camp movie they they start shooting um benji's movie which is bad babysitters too which is some kind of like porkies-esque summer camp movie where like benji's character is like the counselor to some kids and he's like cutting holes in like bathroom walls you know it's like porky sex comedy hell shit um but i think the most important stuff really is like the fact that uh we have a scene where now that havana has lost the role to another actress named azita uh we see that this amazing scene of like total hollywood fake like, fake interaction insanity two actresses like hate and they're each help. other yeah like so you know julianne moore hates this character here you talk about it they're actually like almost like the same they're kind of like the same age they're both like i don't know they just kind of have like this weird mirroring going on mm-hmm. and they are like just kind of having this like really fake conversation right about how like oh don't worry i'm so glad you got this role yeah yeah and just for a second you know i wanted it um but then i was like (sighs) she makes this joke she's like then i was like just work it out in therapy girl (laughs) like you know like it's like the perfect she's acknowledging that it it it, how weird it is that Mm -hmm. she like and kind of pathetic that she wants to be her mom in this movie Mm -hmm. and she's like 
you know, but she's clearly really jealous and they're like laughing and like, yeah. And then she has like a little, the Azita lady has like a little son, two, three year old kid named Micah and she's being completely fake and weird. Like, Oh, you little kid is so sweet. It's just completely expertly done. Like soulless, uh, nothing conversation about, you know, two people that clearly fucking hate each other. But, like, are doing it in, like, the just nicest way possible. I don't know. It's not nice at all. A scene where Havana is having a back massage. And I love it because it's, like, she tells the person who's giving their, her massage, like, after it's done, like, you can let yourself out. Instead of saying, like, okay, you can go. Thank you. Goodbye. It's, like, the person who does the massage is, is like, just like this, a servant. Well, yeah, beyond even a servant. They're like this extension. They're like, I don't know, taking the covers off your bed to put them in the wash. Like, it's like she's basically just saying, like, you aren't even like, I'm not even going to acknowledge you as a human being. Like, just you're here to do this service and now, like, Mm -hmm. disappear from existence, you know? Mm -hmm. Then she has another scene where she sees her mother and her mother says, you know, well, let's see. What does she say? This part is interesting. No, no. It's another important, like, uh, scene where she sees her mother in a dream kind of sequence um oh yeah i love this she says so her mother is saying well she's referencing some therapy she had where the therapist was like you know you're saying to your mom come on in come see my house that i built with love and like and in pain and hope like okay we have to acknowledge to explain this Mm -hmm. that agatha Mm-hmm. becomes Havana's assistant assistant because of Carrie Fisher. Havana has burns on her or which, no Agatha. Uh, sorry, uh, sorry. Agatha has burns on her body mm-hmm. from being in this fire. From burning the house down. Havana's mother died in a fire. Right. So she in this Freudian way connects Agatha to, to her, her daughter mo- or to her mother. Do, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> she to connects her Agatha to her mother. Yeah. And has this kind of like strange, you know, symbolic or attraction. archetypal attraction towards her. Right. And the father says he uses Jungian language by saying, look what you're doing. You're bringing into right. her, this girl with burns into your house saying, hey, mom, everything's OK. I'm not afraid of you anymore. Right. I'm in You can't hurt me anymore. In fact, well, like I'm going to welcome you in so that like I can just deal with it and get over and show all you this how stuff. everything's OK. But everything isn't OK. And not only that, but we know that Agatha, and again, this is an entire spoiler thing, Agatha is going to kill Havana with, uh, you know, an award later on in the film. So this trauma that's existed, if anything, like I was saying, like Agatha is like a weird superhero trying to like end the Hollywood incestuous cycle of nepotism and the Hollywood cycle of like remakes of the same idea, the same trauma, the same like thing you know what i mean yeah so in this scene where she lets the massage therapist like she's like let yourself out then she sees this vision that her mother's like standing above her and she's basically saying mm-hmm. all these things that she, she she said in therapy yeah that was said in therapy but it's like weird because like the way that these lines are like i pointed out that like every 
every relationship has this like unique weird way that the 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 dialogue is delivered Mm -hmm. and like they're saying these lines like this actress that's playing her dead mother Mm -hmm. is saying exactly what she's what she havana has said so it's like this reversal like Mm -hmm. you play me i play you right and like it's like this remake like it's really weird how they did that Mm -hmm. do you want to yeah and you know I love the way that they're, like, reusing these faux, false psychology, new age, you know, mumbo-jumbo to say, like, no, you can say whatever you want about, like, how I'm empowered again. Yeah. But the truth... Oh, right. And then... She sits exactly in the same way, like, by the the pool and says, I guess I'm a lousy dyke. But it's, like, this really pretty actress saying it in this, like, super weird, sad, serious way. So it's, like, the D-make. Your your fear is that your life, your story is remade by a prettier woman. And you know what I mean? Like, her reflecting her own mother saying this, you know, her, my mom, I'm not playing my mom. In fact, my dead mom is playing me. You know what I mean? Yeah, and my pathetic life is even more is it's even more glamorous if she did it. Mm-hmm. Like in this way, if she was like she couldn't anyway. Well it's true. <laughs> so yeah. weird. Okay, and then the next most you know, one of the most important scenes, insane scenes of the movie, one of the most you know, I think why this movie is so special. Um we we saw Azita earlier who stole this role that you know, Havana wanted to play her mother in the remake and the, of the film and now we all of a sudden find out that azita's little son micah is what you drown in a pool mm-hmm. so like right before this was like her deeply moping about not getting the role and she's like making um agatha like do these horrible chores like a slave you know mm-hmm. and then like because she's just depressed she has nothing to do except for just boss somebody around yeah tell them to do like this stupid task because she's like moping you know she's like in this horrible mood and then her manager friend mm-hmm. comes in and tells her that that micah has died Zita's son has drowned has drowned in a pool the one and so now she's not going to get to play the part because essentially azita of course is completely at a loss and totally fucked up and can't believe what's happened to her and you know, doesn't want to play in a movie. So now Havana is going to get to play the role of, you know, her mom in the remake and all because this little boy drowned and died. Um, and an incredible thing happens where she talks to her manager, finds out she's getting the role and then goes out to see Agatha, her assistant, who's, you know, moving plants around or some dumb shit and is screaming, na, 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 na. Na 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 na, hey hey hey, goodbye. You know, which is like this. She's saying like, "Come on, sing with me." I'm so happy. She's completely happy. And then she says, "This is for little Micah, little miracles," which I think is like one of the most amazing lines. Little miracles. Those little boy died. Like little miracles, little Micah. And then she says, "Fire and water. We're fire, and he's water." So again, there's these metaphors. That are that are literal, which is like where the you know my mother burned, you burned, and little Micah is uh, is the water, and 
obviously there's all these like basic elemental symbol symbology and all these metaphors um and archetypes that we could dissect but the point is that like uh havana is just completely overjoyed at the death of this child like they're dancing and singing and so fucking happy um it's just insane and incredible um so I just want to talk about, you know, I, I said some stuff about the uh, the Micah dance scene. You know, the it's like, I love it just, and it's like, in just in the rawness and the absurdity, the disgusting, like, brutal, uh, just the representation of celebrating the death of a young child as like one of the worst things you could do in America and her happiness for it. Um, the, the, Again, it's like mythological. Right. She, yeah. sa- she says like, also the fact she says like little miracles little micah uh we're fire he's water you know we put out water. yeah and agatha doesn't know what she's talking about right. so they're just like celebrating right <laughs> it's funny um <laughs> i think you know this we kind of do some more plot stuff they're shooting bad babysitter uh agatha then goes to visit uh benji her, her little brother that, you know, she tried to kill and burn the house down in. Um, she visits him in his In his trailer. trailer. Uh, he scares the shit out of her. She scares or, sorry, the shit out of sorry. him. Sorry, yeah, he, he's, she scares the shit out of him. Um, she, you know, tries to, you know, because she claims to say she wrote and that she really wanted to, like, make up for what she did. Um yeah and she's just here in hollywood basically trying to make it just like you just like everyone else like i met all these celebrities and i work for a celebrity and i met her through carrie fisher mm-hmm. um he's like for schizophrenic you're doing pretty well in hollywood yeah um i don't know i guess um Again, there's interesting stuff about him saying, like, you know, dad knows you're in town. Dad's all-seeing, all-knowing. Things that I think could have, if this was a movie, a TV series, I think could have gotten, like, just showcased a little more to show just how powerful her fa- their father is. Like, you know, I think people, I guess, can digest the, these oh these scenes pretty well. But anyway, I think certain people probably just were like, there's way too much, like, vague information that I don't care about. But uh, anyway, there's, an, there's really... Uh, an amazing line i'm glad you 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 told me to stop uh wait what is it what's this line uh here amelia you talk about it Uh, i think he's about to say it um i'm not a big fan of closure so if you're if you need an epiphany that's gonna help you get on with your life then like basically don't yeah, don't like, even try. Yeah. I, I just love that he says, I'm not a big fan of closure. That's, like, one of the best... I don't know why I love that line. No, if you're looking for an epiphany for, like, the pain you cause, like, it, it's not going to happen, you know? Yeah. Instead, I but think... But it's interesting that, you know, obviously his parents are terrified of her as if she's, like, some super powerful... She holds a lot of power, She holds the obviously. secrets. She yeah, knows she holds the secrets. secrets. They... They, um, what's the word? Banished her. Right, right? from the kingdom of Hollywood. Yes, yes. So, I was gonna say, like, Benji should 
be terrified of her too mm-hmm. but he's not because ultimately he's been seeing shit she's a schizophrenic he's been kind of like seeing things maybe seeing he has stuff. it as well like yeah the, like he's i think that the he's age like, this is what's happening to me now and like mm-hmm. you know i don't know he's he's at the age when schizophrenic symptoms come to a head in early teenage years so you know again i think the schizophrenia and the sharing of it is more of a metaphor for the like blight of being the children of you know brother and sister incest and if havana and then we also have havana and her mother claiming that you know she's a prod that her her mother had sex with her so there's incest there too so you know i think there's some themes that are like really kind of shoved in our face but i think very importantly to understand that the, the, the way that Hollywood works l- leads like these two characters that are products at all of, of all of this. Um, it's not that they're traumatized. They're like, you know, there's a spiritual blight on them. They're seeing the ghosts of like that won't leave them alone. Right. They're mm-hmm. like being followed. Uh, Benji can't enjoy like his fame at all. Um, and, I don't know. I think, you know, then we have like a very important scene where, you know, John Cusack tries to, uh, you know, he goes up, the dad, Safford, goes and visits Agatha and basically threatens her, tells her to leave. You know, she's horrified and upset by it as she should be. Um, then Benji has like another, uh, Uh, vision vision of the dead girl and the drowned boy micah Uh, again victims you know he's trying to run away from like these sacrificed children i guess that's what benji's supposed to be he's a sacrifice to like the gods of hollywood to like end this kind of like uh incestuous the incestuous nature of hollywood right the poisoning of hollywood all every film is a remake you know mm-hmm. so right before this that he sees like these ghosts mm-hmm. his sister like he asks his sister like what happened when you would see these dead people mm-hmm. she said i would tell them by this ring i consecrate myself to you and they go I think. Yeah. and then they go away uh, i think i think it's also really interesting like you know if it just this i think i'm drawn to this film because it just feels like no other film you know no it's it's there's some great traditional like parody stuff of like the disgusting shallow hellish nature of hollywood but then near the end similar to you know killing of a sacred deer you just have these broken brutally sad individuals that are like products of like what they've brought and hollywood themselves you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like they the guilt that they share for like who they are and what they've been it's just insane um i think you know as the film goes i i would just say like you know i don't think we need to go through every single scene but i would say like the most important stuff is that uh that agatha confronts her mother and says like look i know you're a brother and sister Mm-hmm. Agatha's mother accepts like look we didn't know we like got separated birth we don't the story doesn't even matter it's 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 bullshit and 
instead of say the father saying i'm sorry you know this is your children of this kind of incest he you know beats agatha and brutalizes her um and then finally to like the last brutality of uh agatha is that havana fucks agatha's boyfriend or the robert pattinson the, the <laughs> chauffeur driver they've been flirting the whole movie he fucks her and she feels beautiful and great that this hot guy has had sex with her and then havana purposely fucks robert pattinson in the back of their limo while she watches accidentally like agatha sees this yeah because she can't it's because she can the whole the, how how havana uh seduces um robert pattinson's character is like she's like hey like you, like let's like we could fuck like would you fuck me like mm -hmm. she's a celebrity she's like tell me like i look prettier than her my right. skin is better because like you know agatha's burned right and and it's like why did you even get with her you know is it research you know and yeah and and so agatha sees this and is horrified julian moore's character is just like you stink you smell you're fired which is i told you like i before i was like isn't it it's kind of weird that she says all this mean stuff to her and mm -hmm. it's almost the same as what her mom her mm -hmm. mom's ghost told havana right, right about like, your whole stinks you're uh, you you're, know yeah you you're disgusting you're like you know that kind of stuff like the worst thing you could ever like say to someone, clearly. Right, right, and, and it's. By the way, she's wearing like the classic like, like bandage dress, yeah, the like Kardashian, dress. yeah. Um, I think slut dress. Yeah, and <laughs> and essentially like making fun of her, like, and then ultimately, uh, Agatha, after being fired and and treated like garbage, uh, is like think. Oh, right. She leaves a period stain on uh, Havana's white rich person couch. And she's like, you disgusting cunt, you bled. And again, we're back to water, fire, shit, and blood. These elemental things. Yeah. The things that, that define us as humans. The things that are, like, come from us naturally. And... That also, like, make up everything, too. Yeah. And, like... And... I don't know, like, Agatha's bled. She's, like, left herself, and she's shamed for it, for even existing, essentially. You know what I mean? Yeah. You think... Oh, my God. You think Nicole Kim and Halle Berry have, have, have scary, scary little animals working for them? Yeah, scary, scary and little... deformed. So, so she called her deformed. Like, ultimately, that was, yeah, like... A scary the... little animal. Yeah, like, you're deformed... You know, mm -hmm. you're, like, in, living in this real world, like, disgusting and, like, away from this kind of, like, perfection of, like, Hollywood that's just full of, like, weird, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, no, it's, and then she freaks out and hits uh, Havana over the head with some shitty award and bashes her over the head and there's a beautiful, you know, blood this splatter. This scene There's, like, ever. a Cronenberg blood splatter horror scene. It's just, you know, brain matter and blood splattering all over her. It's, it's you know, it's beautiful. It's great. Uh, it's a classic, you know, when Cronenberg shows his love of, of horror. You know what I mean? Yeah, not to mention, like, we never mentioned the fact that she, uh, um, Agatha wears these, like, 
um, Long elbow gloves. length opera leather gloves. Yeah, yeah. Black leather gloves. And it's totally like this by itself, just this cool right. choice of aesthetic. Right. Like, but, um, but it's also like she's covering her scars and it's also like, yeah, she's, you know, it's, she's the black killer she's the yellow killer you know what i mean uh, it's still she's still the avenging angel you know what i mean yeah. if we're, this if this were a slasher film which maybe it is in some level she's the avenging angel um anyway in in other news benji who's been obsessing about some little red-headed kid from the movie <laughs> he's in like basically being funnier than him which is you know like every star's worst fear that the younger hotter person is gonna outdo him as a child star um, Benji has one final like uh, hallucination of the dead girl, and uh, At, like so he falls this kid little kid into in the, the can bathroom, mm-hmm. and then he sees the little girl. She says something to him. He strangles her, but it's like the first thing that he's ever done in act, like as an act. Mm-hmm with his schizophrenia right really. yeah that, like, i mean that's what it is he has like a schizophrenic episode where he sees this little girl and he strangles her but it ends up being the little boy right 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 and he he does it until he passes out so it's fucked like right he doesn't he's kill in hollywood kid, like his reputation is over like right. it is completely over yeah and like the little dead girl's like you know this kid's your enemy you know uh Love is stronger than death. Is what she says. And then, you know, he's talking about the love of his sister, maybe. Anyway. The f- I think the love of the love of a celebrity mm-hmm. is stronger than any death. Yes. Like, yeah. The love of Havana's mother being loved by everyone in Hollywood. She is this goddess that she is lives forever on. young. Right. She, yeah, exactly. Like, this love of, like, this perfect image. Right. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, finally, like, you know, John Cusack's character comes home to find the the mother, Christina, doing self-immolation. It's very bad CGI. It's actually it's terrible. It's actually confusing because I think most viewers are like, wait, what happened? Did someone murder her? There's, they should have like a bottle of, you know, gasoline near her or something because it's kind of confusing. But yeah. the point is, is that she's killed herself after she, you know. Well, she, she could have just like, I mean, this Benji's career like, is over. She she has no yeah, reason to exist. She had like this really like throughout the movie is so connected to Benji's career mm-hmm. as his momager. Right. But it's like to this point that's like absolutely um, amplified emotion towards right. it like and it's like what gives her life in a lot of senses right exactly and, and so she she has no reason to live she's not defined by anything she kills <laughs> she kills herself and then john cusack basically is just catatonic um okay yeah so then he steals his ring agatha tells benji to steal it the father's ring. Mm-hmm. So she stole her mother's her ring. mother's ring when her, were... her dad beat her up or whatever. Right. Um, this is so like complex. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's just little plot devices. Ultimately, they gain their family's rings. The family's been destroyed because Benji killed the boy and sacrificed his reputation. I suppose. Right. He right. just he, he his schizophrenia is is poisoned him because of the sins of the parents. Mm-hmm. Her schizophrenia is acting up. She can't, you know, she's been, she's not only, 
like Agatha is not only a murderer, but you know the reason she came to Hollywood maybe to redefine herself for pointlessly gone now. You know she's never going to be anything but this crazy disfigured person, and um, so ultimately, you know she, Benji and Agatha have a suicide pact. They're finally going to finish, and uh, they put the rings on each other and and have this weird thing of you know what is it uh a wedding ceremony yeah by this ring you are consecrated to me um and as my husband you are consecrated to me as my right, husband right, sorry <laughs> and then they say they just say vows it's just a exchange right. of vows and then there's a beautiful ending where so they just took a bunch of pills to kill themselves. That's a part of the ceremony. They actually kiss, which is important. They kiss as as bride and, and groom. Okay, so the end is them lying on their back, staring up at the stars at the old house that burned down when they were, you know, when she originally tried to kill Benji and the family by burning the house down. And she reads the end stanza of, stanzas of the Liberty poem, which are... Um, it goes, On the absence without desire... On naked solitude, on the stairs of death, I write your name. On health that has returned, on danger that has left, on hope without memory, I write your name. And by the power of a word, I renew my life. I was born to know you and to name you. Liberty. Mm, I love that. I was born to know you and to name you. And, you know, and to me, obviously this is a poem that was written, you know, for for Paris as it as it was being occupied by Nazis but I guess we were talking about it and to me there's like this idea of the mantra of freedom in this prison that is Hollywood you know at least that's one way I think to read it there's probably multiple ways to read it right because it's also this kind of like um about like fanhood like fandom or obsessing of a person right the way that Cammy, the dying girl, obsesses or loves Benji in the hospital. Yeah. The way... And f- maybe fantasy, too. Yes. Like, fr- fantasy of perfection of a life that can never be. Right. And, like, how maps to the stars... Is it, it, it ends here. Right. It's, that's it. Right. It's, like, maps to the stars. It's, like, a map. A... A... A way fate to be a fate, right, right. That is, it's faded, it's um, written in mm-hmm. the stars. Exactly. And it can't right. be changed. And it's a freedom. Like, I f- like, one thing we both talked about was the idea that both films are about destroying a curse. In, you know, Killing of a Sacred Deer, it's the fact that Stephen can't, he has to balance things out unless he wants his whole family to die by sacrificing something and then in this film these are children you know benji and agatha are children of mother of brother and sister of incest and they are both poisoned with schizophrenia and poisoned with this kind of trauma and secrets and then havana is poisoned with the the sexual abuse at the hands of her mother and her mother's death but then defined by her mother. Yeah, and these are all, like, things which are completely, like, um, like, they are 
they are exiled, their reputation is completely tainted. Mm-hmm. Um, as having like she has scars on her face, she's considered ugly or scarred. Mm-hmm. Like she isn't this beautiful actress, even though she obviously is. Right, but right, like, right. um, he he strangled this little boy in a bathroom. Mm-hmm. Their stories to Hollywood are completely tainted. Mm-hmm. They and Havana, similarly, she is too old to act. She isn't. Um, she's basically rotting in Hollywood, like hanging on to something. She's tr- truly tr- so trapped, mm-hmm. like wanting this kind of like, like I want the love. I want the love that surpasses death right i i will be loved i will obtain my mother's youth if i play my mother yeah the hollywood will finally love me and respect me even though she's clearly like a Lindsay lohan you know d-list yeah it's all celebrity it's all really really cursed right and again it's like you can look at let's say like david cronenberg you know he never shot a movie in la He, he he's made essentially popular underground cult films right and to me, this is like a. I'm sure it sounds like this movie took years to get made, right? So it's like this idea that Hollywood is this poison swamp of where no new idea that isn't like, you know, the old remade can be made. And we're not even talking about just remakes, like traditional movie scripts that are like, you know, redoing these ancient stories over and over again, like cliches and hero, you know. And then, of course, the nepotism that exists through what they define as incest, right? Well, all I can say is I think it's interesting that you found and thought about these two films that I think at the time we didn't think were in any way really thematically connected, you know? Right. I mean, it's about there's men in power, men who think they're like the kings, the generals, the the conquerors of the of their land whether it be the hospital for steven or for stafford the father you know hollywood um you have children who are defined by the sins of their parents um it's just really interesting and i think two films that i don't think people give it a chance to probably you know plenty of people have seen killing of sacred deer and just didn't like it as much but i don't think many people really have seen maps of the stars or even given it you know the true you know watch watch that it deserves well, we didn't either it, yeah it's you i mean we did have to watch it like a third time to really, really sit down with it yeah I totally. and had the intention to like analyze it because mm-hmm. you could just watch it and it's like all this dialogue just kind of streams in right and the you stuff- don't have to make these connections but they there's clearly like so much left like like i called it like left brain type thing like it's like very like very very well thought out and and like analyzed as to why these like specific lines are put in where and how these relationships create this dialogue Mm -hmm. and these tropes of dialogue within Mm -hmm. the relationships and it's it's so interesting like how it's done but you could watch it you could just watch it and 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 see and watch like the the like totally like american psycho style like uh satires and send-ups of like horrific shallow hollywood hell you know and those are all the absurd and 
amazing like the mica dance the the hospital dance the like ripping a part of the manager in the absurd way like those are all just so fucking good you know what i mean like we me and amelia always mention like we'll always just think of the hospital like do you have an ipad we'll like we'll load it up be all 3d and shit to a dying girl is just incredible you know yeah I love anyway I love talking about films with you this you know this has been probably our longest podcast after we edit it'll still be pretty long um I think the next I don't know what order all this is going to be but we're going to do an episode soon um in celebration of Amelia's birthday that's basically going to be about talking about you know her interests her lifelong interest in astrology and also her more recent interest in non-dualism so that should be cool are you are you I'm so excited yeah. to talk about it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, thanks, guys. There's more to come. I'm Rusty Kelly. And I'm Amelia McKay. And thanks this- so much. Thanks. <laughs> you may kiss the bride. On absence without desire. On absence without desire. On naked solitude. On naked solitude. On the stairs of death I write your name. On the stairs of death I write your name. On health that has returned. On health that has returned. On danger that has left. On danger that has left. On hope without memory I write your name. On hope without memory I write your name. And by the power of a word. By the power of a word. I renew my life. I renew my life. I was born to know you and to name you. I was born to know you and to name you. Liberty. Liberty. Liberty.